Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. It's our first, like, actually, like, regular episode of the season. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling great. I feel like the term normal episode is often a curse, because I feel like <laughs> we will say that. And there's really no normal episode. You know, there's no there's no platonic ideal of, of conventionality here in the Aether, <laughs> which is what I like. I like that every week I don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, we honestly, like, even on a... Like, jokes aside like i feel like we usually find out our stack for an episode like before we record which i think is exciting like i think it it lends itself to the episode yeah. but i know what you mean this is the first like four friends of ours talking about fire emblem at each other <laughs> or giant ds season premiere this is usually what you're gonna get every week at least in its skeleton yes i think yeah, yeah you're right this is the skeletal structure of a normal episode but we'll see what happens as we continue to record today <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like those I don't know what they're called but there are a lot of videos of like people making 3D models and then like the AI decides how that model will walk and it's almost never human <laughs> yes. you know so yes. like it's sort of like the, yeah it's a skeleton but how it will run will depend on anything in the sky <laughs> so on that note we have a lot of games to talk about today honestly I'm I'm very excited Again, we usually choose our stack for the episode like right before we record, and sometimes we find a thematic connection right away. So for whatever reason, today's episode is all remix. Yeah, I don't uh, which know how that's kind of exciting. I don't know how that happened at all. Yeah. Um, but you and I, you know, we just kind of tend to go our separate ways and play whatever, and then we'll like check in once or twice during the week and just say, like, hey, I'm thinking about bringing this stuff to the episode, maybe, maybe not. And then it's usually, as you said, right before we record, where we're like, okay, what are we actually talking about? And we just like wrote all the games down. It's like, oh shit every single one of these is a remake which is so <laughs> yeah. bizarre it's worth mentioning actually that you and i are playing some stuff for the nintendo 3ds nowadays we um yeah. we we have a patreon goal where if we hit two thousand dollars on the patreon we will do kind of like a nintendo ds premiere style episode about the 3ds not as intense we're not going to spend a whole year playing 3ds stuff just kind of like revisiting stuff that we liked or checking out some stuff that we might have missed um we've talked to people in the discord and like thrown out questions on twitter for like games that we might have missed so we have kind of like a loose playlist and stuff but you and i are starting to play some stuff on the 3ds now which has been really fun and two of the games that we're talking about today are actually remake on the nintendo 3ds yeah i honestly even like I, I i definitely am excited about the possibility of doing that patron episode if we hit the goal but yeah. me like naturally gravitating to the 3ds after a premiere kind of was going to happen anyway yeah because i feel like in this sort of post like this always happens and i love this period of time for our show like the two things that are guaranteed in a season of Into the Aether uh -huh. are the Game of the Year episode at the end yes. of the year and the season premiere, which right. now we, for the last two seasons now, we have made it like about a systems library. Right. And I would say, I would say those two episodes, like we, we work very hard on the show, but those two episodes are, are a lot of work. That's mm -hmm. like when I, I actually have to put everything else in my life on holds for like a month. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we prepare for a long time for them, but like there is usually that month of like, okay, like things have to be set. And, you know, we all do different aspects of the episode. So there is a really nice, like, oh my, I can do anything I want once that's done. <laughs> uh, and for yeah. whatever reason, that, that cozy freedom all, always leads to the 3DS for me. Cause a lot of my backlog and a lot of stuff that I just like 
playing when I don't have to play anything else is on the 3DS. I, I'm not sure why. It just like it's it's been a system that we're very interested in from the very beginning of the show. You know, I think that we've always really championed the system, which is not a hot take. It, it's sold very well. It's it's so, <laughs> it's kind of funny how sometimes we like our you know we talk about things as if it's like this this fresh take, and it's like yeah no that's the best selling system of all time. Dude, the Nintendo Switch is so good. Have you checked it out? Have yet? you played I- Mario? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a brother who's wearing green. Yeah, uh, but sometimes, you know, when you're right, you're right. Can I tell you why the 3DS is important to you? I know, I yes. know, the, I think I might know the answer. I think it was your console when you moved to Chicago initially. Yeah, it was. I remember. It was like pre PS4 Steven and pre Switch Steven. And I think you like just had the 3DS still, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was essentially like the one tether I had to modern releases. Cause I, yeah. I, we've joked before that like, like I graduated college in 2013. And that year, you and I worked for a video game website with a few friends of ours, and I was the 3DS guy. That was the only modern system I had. Yeah. And so I reviewed 3DS stuff. I got to review Pokemon X. That was very exciting to me. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so like that was like the one new console I had. But otherwise, I would just sort of replay like 360. And at that time, 360 wasn't that old. You know, it was was still like the current generation in some way. But I remember like, you know, I didn't get a ps4 until 2016 and i also think that like yeah like in in many ways the 3ds was sort of my connection to home because i also remember i have a distinct memory of like arriving in chicago july of 2014 i was living in an apartment with two other people that were like friends of friends i i hadn't met them yet they weren't even home yet Mm. so it was just me in this like very cavernous living room with a single love seat like yeah very like david lynch almost and i had like all my unpacked bags and it 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 hit me like how big of a decision I just made. And to be right. clear, like moving to Chicago has been incredible. But yeah. that like first night where I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know anyone here and I don't have a job. <laughs> I played Fire Emblem Awakening on that love seat for mm. like hours. So I think that there I mean, that's I think our relationship with NER and with games, too, is always tied to where we're at at the time. But I do think that like subconsciously I have this sort of like independence and nostalgia linked to the 3ds totally i think by the time 360 came out i think i bought that system with my own money but i was still in high school you know Mm -hmm. 3ds was like i'm an adult making a purchase and this is my (laughs) this is my new thing yeah Uh, so yeah i mean i i have a lot of feelings associated with it you're absolutely right yeah i was kind of i was kind of in a similar boat because i don't know how much i've talked about this on the show but like i dropped out of college pretty much immediately and like joined a band and like lived with a band for a couple of years uh yeah. which you know obviously did not like turn into anything gigantic and like i immediately entered the workforce after that like i worked at a movie theater for a while i worked in cafes for a while but the 3ds was like with the very little amount of money that i had the thing that i bought myself as like a i'm gonna need something to tide me over i think think like video game console wise so i bought myself a 3ds and cherished like every game i had for it you know it was like yeah i've moved i've moved out i'm like an independent person i'm like trying to make ends meet and like animal crossing coming out for that thing was monumental in my life uh i I just have so many memories of working at starbucks for a while and taking shifts or sorry taking breaks in between shifts because i was always working doubles because like again i didn't have any money so i was just like working doubles like every day for like months and i would just like in between those two shifts just sit down at a table and just play animal crossing the entire time just to like take my mind off of 
Starbucks. Yeah. And that was also when you and I became friends. And I remember you showed up at the Starbucks once and showed me Fire Emblem Awakening. And I'd never played a Fire Emblem game before. Um, and I was like, I don't know if this I, I don't know if I can do this to myself. Uh, <laughs> little did I know years later, it would become a huge yeah, part of my life. That, but that was more of a warning. It was it was me like, you know, traveling the past. Like, you're going to talk about this a lot. Yeah. Day. Just yeah. Just like you, like standing in front of like a glowing rift, like, Brendan, I come yeah, from the yeah. future. The bonus episode about this game will require you calling in sick the next day (laughs) but yeah i mean 3ds i i love the system it also feels i mean we talked about this a bit on the ds episode but it feels like the success of the ds hardware meant that they could kind of just do that again and like the 3ds it's kind of ironic that like the 3d aspect of it is like the least interesting and, and objectively kind of weak part of it yeah and eventually games just like stopped even using it like even if you adjust the slider but that being said like it is kind of cool to see what a graphical leap there is even from the ds i mean like yeah the cutscenes of fire Emblem awakening still look incredible they look really impressive i remember seeing that in 2013 on like a handheld and being like oh my god i made a good purchase this is sick (laughs) you and i are not talking about it this week but we're probably going to talk about it next week but you and i have been playing a little bit of shimigami tensei 4 on the 3ds and like you know when you're just kind of like traveling from place to place uh it's it's a lot of just like hand-drawn illustrated stuff and like all the all the um dialogue scenes are just like character models uh standing in front of you know text boxes but when you're actually like dungeon crawling in that game it looks amazing it's It's really beautiful it's stunning how good that game (laughs) looks on the 3ds it is a really beautiful system and 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 even uh in shimigami tensei 4 i feel like atlas was always pumped at what the handheld nintendo gimmick was because shimigami tensei 4 is like the one game that seems to have thought of 3d in advance yeah with some like because a lot of the like landscape reveals like there's a big castle in that Mm -hmm. game and like there's a scene where like characters are like looking over the horizon at the castle and there are like even with the 3d off there are distinct like layers in the landscape so like i did put the 3d on for those moments and it is really cool i mean i think it's like the reality in which you you play an entire game with the 3D on is is non-existent. But like for little moments of that, it's fun just to turn it on just to see. Yeah. I did the same with Awakening. And actually Awakening is maybe one of the few games where the 3D works well. Because like something about the way the character portraits and menus pop off the background is really sick. Yeah. We're going to talk about a Fire Emblem game later. Uh, believe it or not, right. we're bringing up Fire Emblem <laughs> on this episode. Um, but I will say that the, the Fire Emblem games, all of them, now that I've at least like put some time into all of them on the 3ds um they all do make pretty good use of the 3d especially in like battle scenarios as well where you're kind of getting a more like visual top-down uh look at like some of the more intricate areas things like castles that you need to invade and things like that you can kind of get a better sense of like okay i can sneak a person like through this wall or something yeah which is actually kind of helpful to have the 3d on in those cases and and i'm with you i don't leave it on uh especially because like I, I think the thing that everybody realized the Immediately was like you're gonna get eye strain if you just keep the 3d on the whole time but i will just like flip it on every once in a while just to get like a better sense of things every once in a while uh in combat which is really cool it's really cool that the option just exists and it's just a little slider yeah. that you can turn on or off yeah it's kind of thrilled just to have a casual slider for something so advanced yeah like what dimension do you want to be in <laughs> uh anyway all that to say i have finally played mm. a Pokemon game Whoa. that I have never played before. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have played, yeah, right? Finally, a Pokemon <laughs> game. Uh, I have played Omega Ruby. These yeah. are the Gen 6 remakes of Gen 3. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of surreal because we're now in Gen 9. 
So yeah, like, nine is coming soon. Rule of threes. But uh, at this point in time, now that I have played Omega Ruby, I have played every Pokemon game. Not like every single, like I haven't played like Diamond and Pearl and Ruby and Sapphire, but yeah. like I've played like a representative of every generation and every remake. Mm. So it's kind of weird to be here. I feel like I've always <laughs> had one or two that like, oh, I didn't play that one. Yeah. But like I've now seen them all and I'm very early in Omega Ruby. I just beat Roxanne, I believe the first mm. gym leader. And I got to say, I am really enjoying it. Truth be told, I don't have like a ton to say about the game itself. But I do think I wanted to have this conversation about like what you thought of it and also where it falls alongside. We now have had four Pokemon remakes. Like yeah. I could see it changing now in like a post Arceus world, mm. like the rhythm of how they release games. I don't really know if we're going to get a black and white remake. I would be pretty surprised if we got those because I feel like at a certain point, like I think remakes are a tough thing to talk about. And I love talking about them because I think that like. <laughs> The case in which a remake is sort of called for is subjective. And mm -hmm. I think that like what I really don't want to see and don't like to see is a remake existing just to sort of be like, this game is old and, you know, we're just going to make it new because you shouldn't play old games. Like I hate right. that mindset. No one like says that explicitly, but I think with some remakes, there is this idea of like, why is there like a panic if something is older than five years and you have to remake it just for yeah. the sake of it? And the other track also is, you know, you and I talk about game preservation all the time. And sometimes the form of game preservation that an IP holder will choose to do is to charge, you know, full price for a remake of a game instead of just porting the original version. Exactly. Forward, which is also kind of a frustration point, I think. Exactly right. And I think remake also is kind of like it's sort of like when you buy something that says all natural. It's like, well, what does that really mean? Yeah, because I feel like sometimes something could be called the remake when it's really like a remaster or a port with new stuff in it. So yeah, like, yeah. I think sometimes that's why it's hard to really gauge your expectations for when something says it's a remake. For me, I usually define it as like quite literal. Like, was this like a new game? Like, did they try to actually make it again? Yeah. But then you have stuff that's kind of confusing, like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 Plus 2, which I adore. But that is very much like just the two games in one place, but in like a modern delivery, mm -hmm. which honestly is great. And that's what makes the game wonderful. But like there isn't really anything like new about it other than the presentation like, they're, they're not really trying to incorporate things other than like you could do the manual and tony hawk one which is pretty sick yeah you can do a wall slap now yeah <laughs> um on the flip side you have stuff like final fantasy 7 remake which i would i would consider one of the gold standards of like the creative ambition of what a remake can be and that is like we're not trying to replace the original game we are trying to bring a new audience to the original work and be in conversation with the original work. Yeah. And this this game will live alongside the original and you can get both easily. That's like the ideal scenario is like mm. if you want to play the, the original, you can. It's on the Switch. It's on everything. Yeah. But if you want to play the remake, you can. And likely you will at least be interested in the original work after playing the remake. Mm -hmm. Omega Ruby is in a weird place in that regard because I can't quite. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Yeah. I can't quite tell. Like we talked about uh, the first Pokemon remake in some ways. I guess you could potentially argue for Pokemon Yellow being a remake because it is sort of like a glossed up version of red and blue in That's some ways an interesting take yeah 
I think you can make that argument. Yeah. I would say that the first, like, you know, we are marketing this as like every generation, you're going to get two games, a third game and a remake, Mm -hmm. which is kind of nightmarish. But here we are. Uh, (laughs) The first remake remake was Fire Red Leaf Green. That was gens one and two on the game boy advance yeah and we talked briefly about them in our pokemon red bonus or pokemon red and blue sorry thank sorry you for the thank you blue fans out there for the record i think pokemon fire red and leaf green are great like now that i've played every pokemon game <laughs> i can say with confidence that i don't think any of them are bad i don't really like i think like as games like you know i mean i think if you compare them to each other you can definitely argue like oh this one's weaker than that or like this one isn't as successful as that one but like yeah if you're just kind of going in with like really no like you're not trying to rank anything or talk about it on a podcast if you're just playing a pokemon game yeah like all of them are gonna hit a certain base level you're gonna have a good time yeah yeah but i do think that like there is a pretty sizable range i would say that like you know, from one side of the spectrum to the other, like I, I have a handful of Pokemon games that I feel really strongly about and others that I don't. Yeah. And I think this is also a series because of how big it is. People have really strong emotional connection to these games. A lot of these games are like people's entryway into RPGs and also just video games in general. So like I get why, you know, at a certain point, it's like if you were a kid in any of these games were your first game, that's going to be the one you love. And like, yeah. It doesn't really matter. Like you could talk for hours and hours about why one is better than the other. At a certain point, it doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, well, it goes back to what we were saying about like, what was my experience with the 3DS? What was your experience with these games? That's going to matter more than like the way they divide special attack and defense. Like that doesn't mean anything. You know, it's it's like whatever experience you have. Yeah, especially when you're like six years old and it's the first yeah. time you're playing. It's <laughs> right. actually one of the things that I wanted to go a little bit harder on in our uh, red and blue bonus in a way is, is, you know, just talking about the lineage of these games from that point on and how they you know I I think red and blue to gold and silver was a little bit of a leap and they were like taking a lot of big chances and then you start to get into gen 3 and onwards where it feels like they're taking fewer and fewer chances with each iteration just because like the franchise is so big at that point that it's like anything we do that rocks the boat too much might mean that we kind of like lose the the golden purse that we have in this case. But there's another aspect to this, which I think is brilliance, you know, like outside of something like, uh, I don't know, like a Dragon Quest, which kind of like I, I would say purposefully doesn't change its core mechanics too much from a game to game basis, but will introduce like a kind of new thing like in Dragon Quest five, the ability to like capture monsters like in Pokemon, for example, or uh, I, I don't know dragon quest 4 like playing as multiple characters who all meet up later things like that right pokemon is kind of brilliant in the way that it you know from a business perspective in the way that it doesn't change from a generation to generation basis just because they are acting under the assumption that it will be somebody's first pokemon game every single time like every time a new generation of pokemon comes out there is a new generation of kids who have never played a pokemon game before and this will be the first one for them and if it feels the same way to them that red and blue felt to you and i when we played it in 1997 or 98 or whenever that was that means that they've achieved achieved the like dream of so many ip holders which is great we've just like 
inducted a whole new generation of kids into this thing and they'll never give it up you know (laughs) right which you know a little bit nightmarish but from a business perspective like makes a lot of sense and i can understand why the remakes play a part in that right like taking you know say you had just played x and y for example um or sun and moon and that was your first pokemon game on the 3ds you know uh sorry that was just your first pokemon game period but like the 3ds is your first nintendo console this is your first pokemon game etc etc going back and remaking making an older game in the same engine so you have all the same quality of life features that you have grown to know and love you know from your induction period into being a pokemon fan and going back and getting to experience one of the older games with all those quality of life features yeah does make a lot of sense in terms of just like continuing to keep people in the fold especially because they have this staggered release cycle where like the remakes will kind of hold you over until the next one comes out for either the same system or whatever the next system is going to be. But it's interesting, I think, looking back at Fire Red and Leaf Green, especially in conversation with Heart Gold and Soul Silver, which is a game you and I talked about a lot in the DS bonus. But I feel like Fire Red and Leaf Green was very much like we're just remaking Red and Blue in yeah. in the Gen 3 engine. We're just trying to like take these games and modernize them. We're bringing in a couple quality of life features here and there. But we're not trying to rock the boat too much. Heart Gold and Soul Silver, on the other hand, was like, we're going to take every quality of life feature we've included in every Pokemon game since Gen 2 and include them in here uh, and even add some more stuff on top of that, as you and I talked about with like some of the depth of field stuff that they're doing with the 3D, the way that you can have Pokemon follow you around and like literally every Pokemon, you know, bringing that back from yellow and saying like, what if that was all of them, though? Um, yeah, th- things like that are like. That to me is is the kind of thing that once once you put that kind of thought and that kind of attention into remaking something, it can actually become greater than the sum of its parts. I, I feel very strongly about Gen 2. Obviously, you and I have talked a lot about this, but I think just to like double down on that, I do still think Heart Gold and Soul Silver are the best Pokemon games, but they are distinctly different, as you were just saying, in terms of like the gold standard of a remake. They are distinctly different from Gen 2. Gen 2 has this very like kind of melancholic meditative aspect to it when you play it something about the way those visuals and the music and the day night cycle and specifically the world that they've crafted when you're playing that game like on the game boy color it just feels good from like a vibe and aesthetic perspective heart gold and soul silver on the other hand, i think are more like traditional pokemon games but they do imbue them with some of that aesthetic as well totally which is really really wild and that all leads up to Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, which I think is just like kind of confusing personally. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I agree. I think I think Heart Gold, Soul Silver and Crystal really live alongside each other. Like we did a whole mm. bonus about Crystal and like having now played both games recently, like, you know, I think there's something very special about Crystal and I would have to give it a little bit more credit for like setting the foundation. Mm. But just as an experience, they're they're really at the same level and also like different enough you know there's there's a different enough experience there that yeah. like you might be in a mood to play one over the other whereas like i think the goal of fire red and this is not explicitly said but fire red feels like they were trying to replace red whereas soul silver yeah. and heart gold feels like they're trying to like honor crystal mm-hmm. and that's very much me projecting but that just sort of the the feeling i get while playing it yeah um i think that that's just because i think I don't think that was the like the conscious intention of Fire Red, but I think because it is a very much like by the books remake, that's the feeling you get where it's like this is just the game in a new place. Right. Whereas Soul Silver Heart Gold almost feels like an encore of the original. It's like we're going to really like kind of have fun with this. Yeah. So Omega Ruby and I feel like I'm setting this up as if I don't like this sounds like a YouTube essay where it's like what went wrong? 
with Omega Ruby. <laughs> Omega Ruby has been a lot of fun. And I, I have to say, like, I think that, you know, the jump to Gen 6, especially at the time, I think it doesn't feel as profound now. Mm-hmm. But like Gen 6 Pokemon X and Y was the first fully 3D Pokemon game. You know, all the sprites were like there used to be a series called Pokemon Stadium where you would buy it for the mainline Nintendo console Basically, just for the thrill of seeing your handheld Pokemon party in 3D. Right. I mean, that, and that's kind of like, I remember Pokemon Stadium for the Wii came out and it did not do very well. I got it and I loved it, but it was like objectively a bad game because <laughs> all it really was was like connect your DS to the Wii and see your party in 3D. Right. So I feel like, you know, there was this like obvious desire to to see our Pokemon kind of battle in a 3D space and and fill in the blanks that we've been imagining when, you know, you use tackle and the profile just sort of moves to the right a little bit. <laughs> X and Y, you know, it's still it's still kept that and I think that was important that like, you know, it still felt like RPG combat where you weren't explicitly seeing like a Trico like tackle like a Pidgey and you know mm-hmm. like it's like a little too real. Like it still had that distance, but it was so exciting. To see, like, oh my god, every Pokemon is a 3D model with their own animations. I can move diagonally? Are you kidding me? I was about to say, the moving diagonally thing is is so funny, but was such a huge deal. Yeah, <laughs> it was huge. I mean, it was really... I mean, I think X and Y, I, I, I haven't replayed it in, in a bit. I think the last time I played it was like when we first started the show. Mm. But when that came out, it felt like they finally were really using the hardware in a big way. Yeah, I would say now that I've like revisited stuff, I feel like you could definitely like I think the hardware is used for the DS games. But, you know, the the jump, if you were to see like how did Emerald look and how did Diamond and Pearl look and Black and White and Soul Silver, like they're kind of in the same realm, you know, which is kind of ironic because the jump from Game Boy Advance to DS was pretty huge. So like I get that they stuck to that style. But it was exciting to see like a chance taken in the presentation. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, I think that like the Gen 3 remakes came out in 2014, which was a year after X and Y. So I feel like when these came out, it must have been very exciting to be like, oh, my God, we can see Gen 3 in the 3DS style. I did not play them when they came out. At that time, I hadn't played Gen 3, so I didn't really have like a huge interest. Mm, right. But, you know, after we did our Game Boy Advance episode and we both, you know, love Gen 3, Emeralds was was a big deal for us. I had a very heartbreaking Nuzlocke run of Emeralds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of memories now with third gen. So playing Omega Ruby, I went with Ruby because I, I weirdly have like a kinship and sympathy for Team Aqua. So I'm like, let me choose the villains that I, like, I actually want to fight, you know? <laughs> um, let me choose the get rid of water villains. Yeah. And uh, it's been really fun. I mean, I think like X and Y is a, is a nice generation to play now. It definitely feels... You know, it feels very modern. It has a lot of quality of life stuff you want. Honestly, even though Arceus, I think, has taken big leaps, like I feel like we're still kind of in the X and Y like timeline. Like I feel like every game after X and Y hasn't really departed too far from that foundation. Yeah, I think you and I said as much in the Sword and Shield episode that we did when that game eventually came out was like, it just feels like Sword and Shield again, but with more modern hardware. I mean, sorry, it feels more like X and Y again, but with more modern hardware. Yeah, so I think that, 
in in that regard, I think the design philosophy behind Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire seems to be more akin to Fire Red Leaf Green, where it's like, here's this game on this platform. But I think that the jump from Game Boy Advance to 3DS is larger, that it, it actually does ask for more creative interpretation of yeah. a remake. So it's somewhere in the middle. It's not quite this sort of encore love letter swan song to Pokemon that Soul Silver Heart Gold is, but it doesn't feel quite as like shallow as fire red leaf green mm. um, that's a harsh word but you know what i mean just in terms of the design philosophy that i'm perceiving yeah so all that to say i think that what i really do like is it's it is thrilling to see my beloved trico in 3d <laughs> uh like strike a pose and use mega absorb uh, what i do what i forgot about and i don't know if this is the case as much in x and y but it very much is in omega ruby is that the battle arenas like when you are in a battle look fantastic like we we talked about this uh in the ds episode where like it's kind of weird how pokemon just sort of chose like a blur to be the background of like most battles it really wasn't until x and y where like the area that pokemon are fighting in is dynamic to like where you physically are and i love the look of like the trees and the grass and like the sort of natural environments of the forests that's really cool and that does go a long way to like breathing some life into hone as a region and i just got to rustboro city so i feel like i haven't really like i feel like when i think of gen 3 i think of like the port towns and sort of the beach and the ocean and Mm -hmm. like the city near the volcano where ash is falling there's so many iconic locations in this generation yeah that i'm excited to get to i feel like i'm still kind of in the like baby town areas so it's like not quite super exciting so right now i i do think that there's actually something more engaging and like visually appealing in the Game Boy Advance style presentation of Gen 3 but I do think in some areas it is cool to like hear the music of towns you know and and you know it's it's scratching an itch so yeah I would say like as a remake I would I would put it kind of in the middle and I think it is worth checking out if you have like an affinity for Gen 3 and you have a 3DS and you haven't played it but I don't see it really being on the same level as Emerald I think Emerald is still such a cool game to experience like it is so game boy events as a whole is just so impressive like i feel like every game i played for that console i was impressed and like yeah. inspired because i think that if i told you like make a game look like a game boy events game you would immediately have like a palette and a style in your head mm. whereas i feel like if i said make it look like a 3ds game that doesn't you would have to think about it a little bit longer right i think that the hardware was so specifically limited on the game boy events that it did actually develop like an auteur style for every game (laughs) yeah so i do miss that in this remake yeah i know what you mean i'll say about my my experience with this generation or these remakes specifically so i I got them when they came out um and and liked them a lot but definitely walked away from them feeling a little bit colder on them i think you know kind of similar to your take like it i i don't think i would pick them up instead of the originals in a lot of ways they do i think push the envelope a little bit in these games in ways that i appreciate outside of just making them like straight up kind of like fire red leaf green just like straight up remakes of gen 3 they do some stuff from both like story and and mechanic sides that i think push them forwards a little bit they incorporate some stuff uh narratively that actually ties them in with the other games on 3ds which is kind of a cool idea but I, I think you're kind of right to point out the aesthetic of these games. I don't think they're like lovely <laughs> in the way that I, yeah. I feel about the Gen 3 stuff. Like the the way that those games looked on the Game Boy Advance felt like such a huge 
push in the right direction in terms of art direction uh, on, on that console, especially. And this is a thing you and I talked about a lot in the Game Boy Advance bonus. But I just think like Pokemon Emerald just feels like it's head and shoulders above like a lot of even other RPGs on that system. Like Nintendo was oh, really yeah. firing on all cylinders. Game Freak was firing on all cylinders. This was still the era to me of like Game Freak pushing the hardware and even now, like playing some other stuff on the 3DS right now alongside this game, because I've been revisiting it, knowing that we were going to talk about it this week. Even even now, it feels like just kind of part of the course for the 3DS in a way. Uh, and there are some things I kind of even don't like about like, I think the the further into the game you get the Pokenav and some of the stuff that's happening on the bottom screen just feels like like it's not. But it feels like there's ads everywhere. Like it feels like there's <laughs> like pop ups yeah, happening constantly mean. that I just need to like deal like I, I, I like I need to be managing the bottom screen screen it's not like aiding me it's like something i need to worry about in a way which is kind of a weird departure but also at the end of the day i know a lot of people who don't have any experience with gen 3 like personally i know some people who don't have any experience with actual gen 3 and played these games first and loved them um and i think a lot of that is a testament to as you were saying the original design of hoenn as a region is so spectacular and has such an interesting sense of place that does feel a little bit like a departure from gens 1 and 2 in some pretty major ways that like there's just a really major charm to that area that, you know, seeing it realized in a more 3D space and being able to feel a greater sense of place and a greater sense of your own place in that world is so nice and and really does aid, I think, the overall design of the region. And, you know, as you said, the music is also spectacular, but it is yeah. at the end of the day, these are not games that I think I would pick up over the originals ever again really unfortunately yeah i think really like now that i played all the remakes and i I would put this above brilliant diamond and shining pearl i think that those games like like i did enjoy them we brought them to the show there was a while where i was like is this the switch pokemon game to get but after playing more of it i was just sort of like i respect that they tried to like give it its own identity with sort of the the chibi style and like try some things but ultimately again it just sort of felt like a remake for remake's sake i also subjectively find like the core campaign of gen 4 to be like one of the less interesting ones so like just redoing that journey in a big cave is not super thrilling to me that's a very steven take like i don't think that's like the consensus but i do think and again like if Pearl and Diamond were your first. You will probably enjoy seeing that recreated in some capacity. Yeah. Because there are some games that kind of ask for a remake. There are games like maybe it's like, hey, like this is maybe like beyond the system's capability at the time. Or like there are really cool ideas here that didn't really crystallize and maybe deserve a second chance. Yeah. And a second look. Mass Effect, right, is I think (laughs) maybe the the shining example, right? Having all three Mass Effect games in one package. Like, yeah, that's a thing that needed to happen in order to have the actual experience experience that was intended by the developers absolutely exactly so i think that like i would say omega ruby and alpha sapphire they are my second favorite pokemon remix <laughs> i would put them above fire red leaf green and definitely above brilliant diamond shining pearl but definitely not the same heights of heart gold so silver are you not counting let's go pikachu and eevee oh i mean i i feel like they're kind of i i, I didn't immediately think of them as like mainline entries those i, I would put man that's tough i would have to play mm. more of omega ruby to really know because i think as we also discussed on the on the pokemon red and blue bonus let's go is a really lovely it's almost the opposite of this where like they really did actually like breathe life into kanto as a region 
Because I think that Kanto as a place in when you, if you play the original Red and Blue, like it has a charm, but it's it is limited by the Game Boy. It's it's a series of houses and roads, so it's like <laughs> it's hard to really know. Like, like there are some areas that have a distinct flavor. Like I think like the big cities, you can kind of get a sense of like what life is like there. Like Saffron City, Celadon City, yeah, you know, and like there are some cool areas where it's okay. Like there is a distinct flavor here, but I feel like you know Johto. I think you can kind of link to just the season of autumn as a place. Totally. And Hoenn, I think for summer, it's like they, they both feel very seasonal. I think seeing Kanto as interpreted by Let's Go was really exciting. And it really did. I mean, I think, you know, you've seen it like in the show, I guess. So we did have some mm-hmm. kind of mental map for it. But I do think that Let's Go in its interpretation of the setting and of the interactions between people and Pokemon was really lovely. So I would say that that definitely is like, if we're just talking like, why does this remake exist? I do think that that was way more creatively interesting than most of these remakes because it was trying to do something entirely different. I always wonder if Let's Go was an experiment the same way Arceus is an experiment. Yeah, I probably think so, honestly. Looking back, I wonder like if the reception to that game were better and if people were more, I think, just accepting of it existing in the first place, I wonder if we would have a, a remake of Gen 2 in that style at this point instead of something like Arceus. I would actually like to see that. I would love to see that. I don't think it'll happen, though, because, I mean, at this point, you have Scarlet and Violet coming out and Arceus is such a huge monumental hit this year. I think it's I think it's number two behind Elden Ring right now in terms of wow. sales overall for the year. I might be wrong about that, but I, I remember hearing that somewhere. It's like so obvious that the Legends spinoff side is going to continue to have this like great life elsewhere maybe on the switch maybe past the switch yeah uh, if there's a successor coming down the line but i feel like we're always going to have the like continuing generations which will always be folding more people in and then legends will continue on and i wonder if let's go is just like a failed experiment to them or what's going to happen there i also wonder if and I'm not sure how it sold, but I feel like the reception to the Diamond and Pearl remakes were also a little bit lackluster, at least critically. I don't I don't know about commercially. And I, and I wonder if that's going to continue as well, because if I recall correctly, Game Freak and the Pokemon Company have set up a second studio specifically to focus on stuff like the Diamond and Pearl remakes. Um, and I'm wondering if that's going to continue onwards or if they're going to be rethinking that in the future. I, just, I feel like this franchise is such an interesting future ahead of it. Like, I really yeah, I mean, have no idea it, outside of like there's obviously going to be another legends game eventually right. like that's the only obvious thing to me right now it's exciting i mean i think legends really was the first big swing in a very long time and it paid yeah. off so i think that like that was an important lesson for game freak to learn and i think it's going to lead because i think like while you have and you know again it's kind of shallow and and uh, a little bit scary but this idea of like we'll just keep making the same game because there's always going to be a new generation of people <laughs> and it will be their first time every time yeah i don't think that's like the wording use but that is sort of the corporate strategy in some way but at a certain point like again we also talked about this on on the bonus but like the games kids are used to now right like eventually you'd have to adjust to the time battle royale yeah you're right you know yeah kids are playing fortnite (laughs) and minecraft and stuff and it's like a game like pokemon as it was on red and blue while definitely it still has its place it's not gonna ignite their imagination the same way most likely if i had to guess Mm. you know i think that they would probably expect a certain level of dynamic interaction that doesn't exist in those games until legends legends yeah totally so 
Yeah. So I think I, I'm excited to see what comes next. But honestly, I do really enjoy Omega Ruby. Truth be told, I'm going to play more of it. Like I want to see some of the iconic locations. And it's also just it's familiar comfort food. You know, it's it's nice to see Trico like in his full glory. <laughs> and I, I've been recreating my Nuzlocke team, but without Nuzlocke rules. So I feel like I'm having the three hopes version of Pokemon <laughs> Emeralds. That's really nice. I had a beautiful eye named Springtime who was one of my one of my best early units. Yeah. So I caught a Wurmple and named it Springtime, but there's no way to know if it's going to be a Beautifly or right, a Dustox. Right. So it is a Dustox named Springtime, but I kind of love that because it's even more AU like evidence, you know? That's really good. Uh, yeah. So this is sort of a what if version of Pokemon Emerald. If you haven't watched Steven's uh, Nuzlocke of Pokemon Emerald, that's on our YouTube and I highly recommend checking it out because it was wild. I really want to do another yeah. one. I started one of Shining Pearl and I may I may continue it, but I kind of I just sort of lost interest in the game. And I figured like if I'm not excited to go back, it's probably not going to be a good video to watch. But I, I got like decently far into it. So that's also there. But I bring that up because I, I do want to do another Nuzlocke eventually. And I was figuring out like, is that Scarlet when it comes out? Like, do I just like do it right away? That'd be fascinating. I'm really curious. I, I feel like Scarlet were kind of in this place, especially because Nintendo didn't have like a real traditional E3 style direct this year. We didn't really get any information about Scarlet and Violet the way that I think we were expecting to this summer. So yeah. I still don't quite know what's going on mechanically with that game outside of like the little tidbits of information that are on the website. Like it is a fully open world they've announced and there have been some leaks here and there and some rumors here and there. I think they said there's like four major cities and then nine towns around that is, is what happened in the leak recently, but still nothing mechanically. Like how much of Arceus is available in here in terms of mechanics? You know, are we yeah. crouching and sneaking around so we can throw a pokeball at somebody or is it more just the wild area from sword and shield but everywhere because that's what i feel like it's going to be or else what is the difference between these two you know forks in the road between Arceus and and the mainline entries um i'm really curious but i also see a world in which legends just like usurps the mainline eventually because i think you're right i think that feels so much like the future of the franchise and if you invest more time and effort into that line of thinking that is going to be so clearly what people have always wanted from pokemon i think fascinating also they've had a game every year for the past couple of years and they've they've <laughs> been they've been introducing new development teams into game freak like what is next year's pokemon game that we don't even know about yet like what could that possibly yeah. be who knows like is that a remake of black and white yeah is that that let's go Johto like who knows let's go loud dread yeah sign me up um <laughs> I also wonder if this is sort of the moment of truth where it's like Scarlet and Violet honestly they do look like big leaps in a lot of other directions like the production value looks much better than yeah. or not a better but like it looks like they've really changed up the presentation because again I think like from X and Y to Sword and Shield even Arceus in some ways like the character design and the presentation, it all looks sort of 3DS-ish. Mm -hmm. And I mean, RCS 2, you've got the legendary flute that's a cylinder, like, you know. <laughs> so Scarlet Violet like, looks like, oh, okay, they, they've put a little bit more time into like redesigning the characters and, you know, the world looks really cool. I love like the, I think it's inspired by Spain this time. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's obviously like, you know, advancement happening there, but I wonder if like, legends and scarlet violet are like okay do you want like should we go down this way or this way you know or if they're going to continue parallel to each other yeah I am curious if Scarlet and Violet ends up being, as you're saying, just kind of this like litmus test for what people actually want 
from these games. Yeah. That could be really interesting. Wow, we've talked almost a whole hour just about this. Uh, do you want to take yeah. a break and then move on to something else? I did open this by saying I don't have too much to say about Omega Ruby. <laughs> I think Here's it's a, a good conversation episode. starter. I mean, we, uh, truly, we didn't have a lot to say about Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, but we had a lot to say based on about how little we yeah. had to say about Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Right. And I do think <laughs> that this idea of like what makes a good remake is going to keep popping up in this episode. So I think we're on I think something. so too. <laughs> Thematic <laughs> connections. By God, I think we've got something here, Stephen. <laughs> cool. Well, let's do it. Uh, I'll see you soon. like a Tommy Wiseau level line delivery. <laughs> me or you? No, me. Me. It's not always about you, Stephen. I do think cool. Let's do it. See you later is also kind of ruinish. <laughs> you know, like, all right, great. I'll see you later. Okay. I know like talking about the room is like it, there's nothing more to say about it. But my favorite thing about it is that everyone has to like say when they leave. Like they, they just, you know, everyone's like, well, that's all I got. I'll see you later. I'm going to walk off screen now. It does. I do feel echoes of that in Three Houses and Three Hopes where like everyone has to enter a scene like, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like they'll be like, what's up? And it's like all the deer like in exactly the same place they have to stand. Yes. In the group scene. Yeah. Like like they all have like duct tape markers on the floor in the library. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and we are back and we are talking about Fire Emblem for the very first time. <laughs> I like how these sections are uh, are a new thing for us. This is kind of cool. Um, so, dear listener. It's almost you, like an apology. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, but I played Fire Emblem again this I, week. I would make a case that I think people, based on numbers and vibes, I think that people enjoy when we talk <laughs> about so. Fire Emblem. I think so, too. But in case you are new to the show and you're like, man, is it like just Fire Emblem all the time? Yes and no. Uh, but here we are again. <laughs> Fire Emblem is like a cloud that hangs over whatever the opposite. I guess it's uh, it's the eye of the storm. I'll it's say. the verdant wind that carries us forward. Yeah. I love that. That's way better than my thing. Yeah, that's really good. So for the 3DS, <laughs> you probably know Fire Emblem Awakening. Fire Emblem Awakening is was meant to be the swan song of the series but very much was the revival of it. And I would say like, at least in the U S I would say that likely if you are into fire emblem, your first game is probably the game boy advance one or awakening or three houses at this point. I feel like those are like the three big, like gateway, like the games that kind of came out kind of meant to be like, Hey, if you want to give this series a shot, here's like kind of the entry point. Yeah. And I, I love Awakening. I feel like when we revisited it with our friend Alana Oaken, who also joined us last week for Three Hopes, Awakening to me is like kind of the best of all worlds for Fire Emblem. Like I think it has sort of the tactics you want. It has cool map design, but it also has a fun cast and the support. So it's like yeah. you can kind of play Awakening and get like a little... Like, a little taste of every type of Fire Emblem game. Yeah. And it was built to be that also, yeah, which is right. important. Like they, they just like nailed it when they set out with the brief of like, this is going to be the best Fire Emblem game. I don't think they expected it to be, as you said, like it was kind of meant to be a swan song also, because I think they were like, well, I don't think we're going to get another shot at this ever again. Yeah. So let's just make the best one we possibly can. And guess what? It was so good. The Fire Emblem is now a huge top tier franchise. Again. Yeah, that, so, that was my sick. first Fire Emblem game and I loved it. I really, really loved it. That was my game of the year 
for that game website. Everyone else was like, it was like Last of Us and uh, it was either Last of, at the time, it was either Last of Us or Bioshock Infinite. Mm. And I was like the one weird guy who was like, Fire Emblem Awakening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, so they followed Awakening up with Fates, which was two games, I guess three technically. But when it came out, it was like Conquest or Birthright. And unlike Pokemon, there was actually a pretty big difference between like which one you're choosing. So essentially, without saying too much, the plot of of Fates is you are Corrin, who is low-key a dragon, who is in the middle of this dispute between their biological family and their adoptive family. And essentially, one game is tied to one family. So if you got Conquest, Corrin sides with their adoptive family. And if you choose Birthright, you side with your biological family. Um, and also the games themselves were sort of different designs. So Conquest was meant to be the like hardcore one. It was meant to be like, here's a challenge for longtime fans of the series. And Birthright was meant to be more casual and kind of more focused on supports. I have played both. I only played the very beginning of Birthright and I played a decent amount of Conquest and actually really liked it. But those games are kind of a hot mess. Like they're fun, <laughs> but they're trying to do so many things. And I, and I commend them for it. I think there's a lot of ideas that are swimming around in fates that ended up kind of really manifesting in a big way in three houses so like i would make a case that those games kind of walked and tripped so three houses could fly yeah i for the longest time thought that that was it i thought that the 3ds had awakening and fates and those were like the fire emblem games there's another fire emblem game on the 3ds you guessed it it's called fire emblem echoes shadows of valentia and it is a remake of the second fire emblem game gaiden Gaiden. Yeah. So going back to our, our discussion about like when and why and how are remakes interesting and when is it called for it? And I don't think there's a definitive answer, to be clear. I could kind of structure like the ones that I think are more creatively interesting and, and come from a less shallow place than just like we want to resell this. Mm-hmm. But I do think that in this case, Fire Emblem Gaiden, one, I don't th- I don't think was released in the US, at least like when it came out. It I think not. the first Fire Emblem game to come out in the US was uh, Blazing Blade or just called Fire Emblem on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, which I I should mention i i frequently say that awakening was my first fire emblem game technically that was my first fire emblem game on the game boy advance i had the cartridge and i just like did not understand it at all with my small boy brain that i had at the time i don't blame you i feel like that ironically that's like a weird one to start with like even Mm. though the first like 10 hours of that game is a tutorial i don't think that's the best because that game is also a prequel of 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 another fire (laughs) emblem game so it's a strange one to have like been the big u.s release but hey it worked and that that game rules that's one of my favorite game boy advance games and also i would say top five fire emblem games Mm. too for me but very different that game is all tactics yeah. You're not really getting the sort of narrative or character centric experience that you would get later on. There's like echoes of that. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But, you know, <laughs> you can see like you can see the series kind of moving in that direction. And like all the characters kind of have their archetypes. I love there's a healer character who's a cleric in that Fire Emblem game who is very similar to Hilda, where she's like kind of lazy and makes people do things for her. And I love that archetype being the healer. It's like here. Now you're better. Go do it instead of me. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fun so that's fun 
But uh, yeah, so what I know of Gaiden, the second Fire Emblem that this uh, echoes Shadows of Valentia as a remake of, is Gaiden is kind of one of those weird NES sequels. You know, Simon's Quest or Mario 2, like a lot of NES sequels because the, the series hadn't really established like what it is. Uh, Zelda 2, also a good example. Like a lot of those games are trying out just like, let's like take a big swing here and like see if it works and a lot of them really didn't and Gaiden from what I know had like dungeon crawling in it and like was attempting to do a lot of things that like no other Fire Emblem game before or after really bothered with. Yeah. So I think that this is actually a really interesting game to try to remake. It's like, this is this is a game that I don't think many people like or want to see again. <laughs> and the desire, like, why don't we give that another shot? Because there's something there. Yeah. I think the only real like mechanic improvement that they made in this game that carried forward was class changing. That was like the big, yeah. that was the big introduction of this game that is now like a staple of Fire Emblem. Um, but yeah. most of the other stuff that's going on here did not carry forward, which is wild to think about in, in context with what happened with Three Houses. Yeah, right. So Fire Emblem Echoes uh, Shadows of Valentia, the remake of Gaiden, largely plays like Awakening or Fates, at least in the presentation. Like you, you kind of see on the map, you see sort of like, you know, the the sprites of characters and sort of the battle map. And when the battle happens, it goes into kind of like a full 3D place where it animates them. I do like that. I, I definitely think that the original like pixel art on the Game Boy Advance is like still my favorite way of like viewing battles and Fire Emblem. But the 3D, it is exciting. It is cool to see. Like there's some like interesting movement happening in the 3DS Fire Emblem games where like there's like a hesitation before attacks that kind of add to the drama. Mm. And like it's always like you can see if they're going to attack twice, but it's always exciting or nerve wracking if they do. Yeah. So I think that it definitely works in a much better way than like the DS Fire Emblem where they tried to make it 3D and it just felt kind of ugly. Like this is definitely like the way to do it in 3D for sure. All that to say, so you have sort of like the presentation of awakening or fates in the battles but the story also i think has been kind of rewritten from the original game and the biggest thing is that like the mission structure is really interesting because in both fates and awakening there are like you know set points on the map and you can do kind of auxiliary battles but every battle in those games is like a beat of the story with a specific map that is like here's where you are in the world and this map is almost like a little challenge where it's like mm -hmm. you know you might have to reach this character in a certain way or uh what does that mean from from fates where it's like prince rioma will wait patiently for his revenge for 25 <laughs> turns uh yeah. you know it's like there's usually like a little goal or like to accentuate the beat of the story usually i i have found that in those games the maps usually complement the mood which is really cool in echoes a lot of the battles are similar to auxiliary battles and also it seems like even though they've recreated this game from scratch a lot of the map design feels like it was probably similar to the nes design i think it's like one-to-one -one, if i were to guess yeah i mean just i i looked at a little bit of a let's play of the original fire emblem Gaiden um just to see and it really looks like they did not change a whole lot uh in terms of the map design and also in terms of the goals as well because the goal at least in all of chapter one which I, I have finished at this point that's like I don't know four or five hours of game um I've done the prologue and chapter one every single battle has just been kill every enemy like nothing yeah. nothing has changed goal wise uh which is you know 
fine and not fine in some cases, especially considering how much of this game got a glow up. It's kind of weird that like the actual battling yeah didn't get anything really that's a big thing because there are a lot of battles there are like you know on i'm i'm not done with chapter one yet and just on the way to what is considered the first like story mission there's like five battles and there's a uh i think it's a shrine but essentially the big thing that this game is doing is like there is dungeon crawling so there are areas in the map where you like actually are controlling the main character i believe his name is om right mm-hmm. alm mm-hmm um is like kind of actually similar to Shin Megami Tensei 4 you're like running around in this fully rendered really striking 3d environment and there are enemies and if you bump into them it, it throws you right into like a fire emblem battle yeah. it also kind of has a dragon quest 11 ish thing where if you you can like swing your sword around if you hit the enemy before they touch you that means that you take like a chunk of damage off of every enemy that you're going to fight in the battle, which is kind of fun. There's also like when you're in a town, it weirdly plays like Phoenix, right? Or like you can kind of like, it's a first person view and you can like look around and examine a place and be like, Oh, I'm going to take that orange. I'm going to take that bag of flour. I'm going to talk to my grandpa and then I'm getting out of here. Right. So all that to say, I'm actually very much enjoying this game. I'm glad I played it. It's really interesting. It's really weird. And I think that makes sense because it's it's a remake of the weird one. It's a remake of the weird Fire Emblem game. Yeah. What I'm most enjoying so far actually is the story. I think that the setup of Alm and the the friends he grows up with there's like a little bit of a time skip very early on that was actually more effective than i thought it would be because i don't know who anyone is but like <laughs> you get enough glimmers of personality yeah that it is interesting to say like, oh like this is of course who this character would become and i get the impression and again i'm like an hour and a half in so i'm very early on in this game but i get the impression that alm is not really a chosen one at least in the way the adventure begins he seems to be a character who you know his grandpa is this like legendary night that that people like admire and respect and he's kind of trying to live up to that reputation but he just seems to be kind of a normal character who like wants to do good and I actually find that to be one of the more compelling parts of the plot is just like this isn't a chosen one i'm not like exiting heaven with green hair i'm just like you know a, a guy who wants to help out a bad scenario which i think is kind of interesting uh <laughs> nope <laughs> okay so that's that's not what's happening cool. yeah i don't i don't think so at least based on where i'm at in the game which again is still pretty early i mean i'm in chapter one also but there have been i wouldn't say plot revelations because they really haven't like tipped the hand completely yet but i mean there's like a whole bit early on in the prologue where it's like uh alm and this other character named selica and the two of them have like the fire emblem logo on their hands Um, oh yeah that's i forgot about that (laughs) and uh this like clear indication that there's some kind of like fate thing some kind of like destiny magic that is yeah they get separated early on yeah and um, you know they're kind of like wondering what the other is up to yeah um so the the big hook of this game is that you're playing as both of them so you're hopping back and forth between the armies that they're each commanding so chapter one is with alm chapter two is with selica um and and the two of you are i I guess like making your way towards each other in a way so i think you're right in that it's interesting that alm is like a commoner uh and the game is very 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 interested in him being a commoner him and the rest of his like band of heroes um, are all just like the kids you grew up with on a farm and you're joining essentially like a rebellion group filled with nobles who all feel very different ways about 
alms group and 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 their uh station i would say so far i i would say that the story is i think interesting i have a lot of issues i think with the way it treats its women is like really pretty Mm. rough the further in you get and all the more baffling because at first i was playing it and i was like oh man like you know weird holdover shit from like i guess the 80s or 90s when this came when did that game come out hang on i have the wikipedia open came out in 1992 so i was like oh you know just like weird opinions about women from 1992 like that it's weird yeah. that they didn't like again they've updated so much of this game it's weird they wouldn't update that dialogue and then watching a let's play of the original it turns out that that wasn't even in the original game this is new stuff that they've added that oh is just God. like weird and gross That's and misogynist awful. Yeah. So that's been definitely a bummer. I would also say that some of the characters are like so unlikable that they're like almost irredeemable (laughs) at times. Um, And even despite that stuff, I am enjoying it and I will probably play more of it. Um, But it definitely has these like huge marks against it, I would say, that are that are definitely holding it back. I will say, though, there is one there's one character who joins. uh, Her name is Claire, who I was like kind of iffy on when she showed up because i was like this just seems like very poor writing at first you know because she's kind of like a noble and has the very like lorenz side of things where she's like you know oh you're just a peasant don't talk to me you know that kind of vibe um yeah but I was a little bit worried about that. She very quickly warms up to Alm and the rest of the party um, and then almost takes on like a Daisy Buchanan from the Great Gatsby energy in a way that I really appreciate <laughs> where she's like, oh, you're such brutes. I can't wait to go fight again. Like, I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's very much turned around. She was a little bit of like, a, oh, I'm, I'm worried about the way this is going early on. Sure. But some of the other characters they're writing, like one of Alm's best friends from the farm, like her whole character, the more you get into her supports with other characters, is just that she's like madly in love with Alm and will do like anything uh, for him in ways that are like super weird. That's weird, yeah. Even some of the like kind of canon progression paths for classes is like, why are all the women clerics? Like that doesn't, that's yeah, such a bummer. Th- th- and that still kind of lingers even in, in Three Houses. Like It's definitely moved away from that, but they are weirdly like gendered classes. Yeah. Uh, so that that stuff bums me out. Yeah. Like I'm not. I'm definitely not as far as you. Like I haven't really seen any of that yet, which is like disappointing to hear. I'm still very much in like the first dungeon where they're like, in this game you can dungeon crawl. Yeah. So like, I think I was I was interested in sort of the way this game's call to adventure begins because like pretty much every other Fire Emblem game I've played, the call to adventure has been either divine or regal. And yeah. this is the first time where very much, I mean, there is the Fire Emblem logo that I somehow forgot about on their hands. <laughs> uh, but this is, I, I do like the idea of just like, if no one else is helping, like, let's do it ourselves yes. kind of thing. Yeah. So and that, that, that is compelling. Maintained. Yeah. Like that, that persists yeah. throughout where I'm at, which I, I agree with you. I really like. I also think there's another side to this that I really appreciate and at least is different than the other Fire Emblem games I played. And this is maybe also kind of a holdover from it being a game from 1992 that they're remaking. But every Fire Emblem game that I've played so far is really dealing in choice in a really major way like a lot of them are very much about your actions and the things that you do and what characters you decide to pair up against each other who's going to raise their support levels and this kind of larger idea that there's a main storyline that you're making your way through but you as the player and you as the player shoe in character like robin or Krom or byleth are going to have to make some kind of choice that will impact that in one way or another as far as i can tell so far at least in the first chapter of this game um and a little bit where i'm in in chapter two that's not the case at all. This is just a straight narrative. And I'm actually kind of into that. Like I'm into that, yeah. uh, especially, you know, hot off the heels of having played Three Hopes 
more than once <laughs> and like the amount of time I've uh, put into three houses and, you know, having played Awakening recently, the idea of just like, I'm going to get to sit back, do these like honestly very simple battles and just kind of let the story play out in front of me is kind of nice. It's kind of a relief in a way. Like I'm just experiencing this game in a way that is like very loose, which I, I really like. Uh, the most choice you have really is like how much time are you spending crawling around in dungeons? Because the more dungeons you get into, you're kind of able to just like wander around at your will and they get bigger and bigger the more time you spend so that first one that you're in right now is kind of just a straight line that leads to the statue that lets you change classes but as you continue to play more and as you continue to go into more dungeons those dungeons will start to be a little bit more sprawling enemies will start to respawn as well so you can like go and like essentially grind if you want in battle to continue to like level up your characters which is kind of nice so that's been the like turn my brain off moments have been whenever I'm in a dungeon and I get to just like run around and do whatever I want I actually really like that a lot I kind of wish it would come back in a way. It's like weirdly one of the better ideas that this game has is this idea of like running around in an open world. And then when you encounter an enemy, it throws you into a tactics battle is kind of a cool turn from it what is, I was expecting. Yeah. I, I would like to see that return in some way, and I imagine it won't. But that's the thing that I'm kind of enjoying the most outside of the story, which I agree is very good, especially once you get into chapter two and you're playing as Celica and her her group um, is is really I really like all those characters pretty much immediately. Uh, they're all really interesting. So cool. there is you know as as hard as i am being about the game i think rightfully about some of the stuff that's going on narratively course, and, and character yeah. wise um there is like there is a lot that i'm liking about this game more immediately than i did with any other fire emblem game i've played even I, i've wow. mentioned this in the past but for me fire emblem has always been this franchise that i wanted to get into and i'm always wrapped up in the hype around them before they come out so awakening came out you showed it to me at that starbucks as we talked about <laughs> as and, a warning yeah. and i did go and pick it up and like ended up bouncing off of it eventually when Fire Emblem Fates came out and they said, hey, we have two versions of this. There's Birthright, which is like for newcomers who are more interested in the story and the social stuff. We have Conquest for the people who are like in it for the battles. They're here for the tactics. They want to be playing that. I picked up Birthright. I was like, wow, this is, they made a whole version of this game just for me. How cool is that? And I picked that up and I also like couldn't get super into it, which was such a bummer. And it wasn't until Three Houses came out that I was like, oh, shit, I so understand this. And that has been kind of my entry point into going back and enjoying these other games. So finishing Awakening for that bonus was like such a rewarding experience because I felt like yeah. once I finished Awakening and as we've already said, it's kind of this like best of all worlds for Fire Emblem. It really kind of primed me to understand what is so great about all the other ones? Like, what is each one doing that is different from the other ones? And Shadows of Valentia, for whatever reason, I think it's just so weird and such a departure from all the other ones that I've played that I'm like constantly intrigued in what's happening. It's also the first one with full voice acting for every single line in the game, which is like so compelling and it's so good. And you can hear some people who show up in three houses playing like bit parts in this game, which is really fun. Oh, it's like, fun. oh, yeah, old lady is just Edelgard, you know, like that's so fun. Um, <laughs> Things like that are like so fun uh, to just like see pop up here and there. But there is a lot that this game has going for it. And it's kind of interesting to see how some of the ideas in this game kind of carried forward into three houses. A lot of the like, you know, you're a full character in a 3D space running around was new to that game that then became kind of like a staple of the social side of three houses. You know, obviously the voice acting being a really compelling way of getting you invested in these characters beyond just text became a huge part of three houses as well. That having been said, I will say that the support scenes are like such an afterthought, like so clearly there's this one <laughs> character. I, 
I forget who it is. I think it might be Tobin, who is one of the kids that you start out with, uh, who like canonically is supposed to become an archer, who I will say awful unit for me, at least. I think it's just my luck. Yeah, Tobin has not been impressive for me either. He yeah. I, I'm this is not a joke. He has missed, I would say, 95 percent of every arrow he is. <laughs> shot at an enemy so far it is embarrassing how bad he is as a unit he's like two levels behind everybody else for me right now which is so funny yeah but his he, i've had three support scenes with him so two c level and one b level with him and in all three of them the support scenes have been he walks up to somebody else so it's worth mentioning because this is kind of an older school fire emblem game these support scenes are happening in battle they're not happening outside of battle so like oh interesting yeah when when you're paired up next to somebody is when you see the support scene play out and they will usually reference in some way like you know hey we're in battle which is wild for example like alms are interesting where like he's inspiring people on the battlefield things like that like alm has pretty good yeah. support scenes with people tobin's if i'm remembering that it's tobin correctly tobin has had three support scenes and all of them have been him walking up to somebody and him being like hey what's going on and the other person's like i'm in battle don't fucking talk to me and then that's it <laughs> three times that has happened even the b-level support scene that i got with somebody else like he showed up he's like hey what's going on and they're like i already told you i don't want to talk to you and that's the the b-level support which has been fascinating and i'm wondering i wonder if, if the a level is like him just not talking to anyone yeah like it just silence is the a level tobin that's scene. what it feels yeah. like it's progressing towards which honestly like is kind of underwhelming i would say but some of the characters they have in this game are absolutely incredible uh there's one that i i've been texting you about named fernand who is like everything about lorenz so like he has this whole like idea of social strata this idea of nobility versus not nobility um and the way that they should be treated with none of the likability like lorenz <laughs> lorenz has this like little thing about him where it's like you know you know that his heart is in the right place even though he has this really outdated and weird opinions about sure. about nobility yeah. this guy is just such a piece of shit so immediately <laughs> he's got no likable qualities whatsoever even when he's in the presence of other people who are nobles they're like dude you gotta shut the fuck up um yeah and and where his story goes i think is actually very interesting uh he's just a villain you love to hate really really fascinating dude um and some of the other characters that they have introduced who are like primed to be kind of major villains i think are like great so i will probably maybe not finish this game we'll see but i will probably play a lot more of it i have found it to be the thing that i'm going to when i open up my 3ds even though i'm playing all this other stuff um it's kind of become my comfort thing like i'm like knocking out a couple battles before bed i'm going and doing some dungeon crawling it's been really good. It's a, it's it's like a surprisingly good game, even with its like pretty major faults. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also I from what I know, it also introduced the divine pulse mechanic, which yes. is like one of the best things in Three Houses. I haven't gotten there yet. Again, I'm I'm still pretty early on, but you might actually have it already. You unlock it pretty early, and they don't explain it or tell you about it in any of the tutorials <laughs> or pop ups. I found it literally by accident, like a couple battles into the game. Oh, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. But there's just um, a cog on the bottom right hand side of the screen that you can tap on and then it'll give you a tutorial about what it does interesting good to know honestly my i mean I, i'm sure i will have similar uh critiques of, of the writing and characters later on that you brought up but um for me right now the biggest thing is like i don't really love the battles uh like they play out like the way you want them to but it's really like the frequency of them and the map design so far has like every map is just like a field with a few bushes in it yeah and i, I think that like 
at least in my, you know, what I'm used to in Fire Emblem, like again, and especially on the 3DS, the map design in Awakening and in Fates is really good, especially in Fates. What really kills it in Conquest is like you don't have Divine Pulse. It's like I learn what's cool about this map by restarting my 3DS for the fourth time. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and it, so far in Echoes, like every map is just like, OK, here's like another field. And it, it kind of makes it feel monotonous, even though like they're over pretty quick which is nice just again the frequency of them is like oh okay like i've got to do like five identical battles especially when you're dungeon crawling i found as yeah, well it's like right. when you're there, there's one uh dungeon pretty early on that you'll find uh, pretty soon where it's essentially like zombies like there's zombies in a crypt it, it's almost very skyrim <laughs> in that way um where there's like yeah. a bunch of like kind of like like norse zombies running around who are like old warriors whenever you get into a battle in that dungeon and there are a lot of enemies there the battle maps specifically are just a flat land like there's there's nothing by way of terrain in those battles at all when you're dungeon crawling it's literally just everyone on your team and everyone you have to fight in a big open space and that's it which is a little bit of a bummer i think too that there wasn't a little bit more attention there specifically given how frequently you're going to be running into those battles it seems like there should have been some more attention yeah right exactly but i think you're right thankfully they go by very quickly until you start fighting them more like difficult enemies in those dungeons then it's like uh shit like i'm just like trapped here i will say the major story battles though do have i wouldn't say great maps but better maps than just a field with some bushes in them like that's good to know as long as there's like something else yeah there's one that you'll do pretty soon that involves you needing to like snake up a pathway along the side of a mountain that's really interesting and the army you're fighting has the ability to actually just like go down the mountainside without needing to follow the path um so that's like kind of cool uh when they start introducing like archers and mages and stuff um in like fortified areas like castles and you need to like be very very careful about like who you're sending into the field of view of an archer like that's that stuff starts to get interesting tactically but i have found that i have been doing a lot of like the automatic uh what is it oh i think it's called tactics like some of the automatic tactics that are like okay i'm just gonna put all here and then like have everybody gather up near Alm, you know, and like, that'll be my turn. Like, I'm not even really thinking about it. It's just like, I just need to move across this big field with bushes. And like, that's kind of it, which is a little bit of a bummer, I think, in that regard as well. But uh, yeah, it's interesting how much this game gets right and how much it gets wrong and how like even given that there are more pros than cons for me. So I'm like still super invested in it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that like the remake of the sort of like misaligned sequel is actually similar in spirit where both games are trying out really different ideas from the rest of the series for better and for worse but like again we've named at least three things that immediately went into three houses yeah so i feel like between echoes and fates like all those games kind of like stumbling on top of each other like there were good things to come out of that experiment yeah you know i'd rather see games in a series as big as fire emblem like take a swing and miss but that will eventually lead to something cool than just like you know going back to pokemon doing the same thing over and over and over again yeah i've been enjoying i'm glad i got to experience it i don't really know how much more i'm gonna play of it i'd like to at least like see the switch uh to celica's group i feel like that would be cool i don't like at that point i'll know like do i want to keep playing this i think you'll be surprisingly more invested in the story when you finish chapter one i think i think the way chapter one ends is actually really interesting you'll have a good time i also like the world building this sort of like story of the two gods and like the compromise they met like it's kind of yeah one of them just likes to relax and the other one is like like a warmonger (laughs) essentially (laughs) 
<laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, it's like one god just wants to like party and one god wants to go to war. And it's like, well, that's what you get. Choose one of them. It's hilarious, too, because like the way the way the world is built is like they've been at war for centuries. It's like, actually, that kind of goes against one of their ideals. One of their ideals is to just fucking chill. It's weird that they've been at war that long. It seems like they would be decimated pretty much immediately by the warmonger yeah. uh, nation. It's fascinating. Right. I mean, you got to defend the parties, you know. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you got to fight for your right to party. Is that what you're saying, Stephen? I was very close to say. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's a cool game. I would say, like, if you're a big fan of Fire Emblem, I think it's worth looking at because it is so different. Whether or not it's gonna like really click for you, I feel like this is like, like I've always thought of Fates as sort of the divisive one. I think this is even more kind of up in the air of like whether or not you will enjoy it. Yeah. I am curious though to go back to Fates eventually. Like now now that I have more more context for this and what I like and dislike about Fire Emblem, I'm curious to go back to Fates and and really say like, you know, is it gonna be birthright? Is it gonna be conquest? Do I wanna go and do I forget what the last one's called. I think it's Revelations is is the like third version of that. Yeah. But worth mentioning we haven't even mentioned this at all in all of this conversation about 3DS stuff, but like the eShop is closing next year officially and already it doesn't take credit cards anymore. So you need to like buy an eShop card and then put the code in on the 3DS eShop if you want to buy stuff. And it's so frustrating, like so yeah. annoying, especially just like seeing this big list of games that I would love to check out one day and knowing like eventually I just won't be able to unless I buy them secondhand. And some of them didn't even get physical releases is like driving me up a wall. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really sad to see. I mean, I think like I wish there was more Nintendo did on that front. That's something we say a lot on the show. Yeah, I just keep thinking like, you know, they're going to like one day they're going to go and remake. I don't know, Gen 3 again or something when like they could (laughs) like just figure out a way to port Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire to the Switch or something. You know, like they're uh drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. I can't wait to get very X uh, one day on the on the Switch, too. (laughs) very x and pretty y yeah <laughs> which one did you get oh i'm, I'm a big very head you know? <laughs> but anyway fire emblem echo shadows of valentia it's a re- it's a really fascinating game it's a really fascinating remake and uh i'm weirdly enjoying it a lot more than i was expecting to yeah there are a few series that i love enough that i'm like i'm just kind of curious about all of them i mean like pokemon i've now played all of them uh fire emblem is one where i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna like love all of them i guarantee i probably won't but like I am really curious just about like other entries in the series, especially the one that the ones that people seem to like love, love are Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, which are very hard to get because it's GameCube in the Wii and they're like four hundred dollars. <laughs> but uh, one day I'll make that happen. It's in some capacity. so upsetting. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and this goes back to what we were saying about like just remaking something at full price rather than porting it. But there is that ongoing rumor of a I think it's Path of Radiance remake for the switch um which i am curious about but again it's like just get just you will make so much money if you just put these games on the eShop, like you did on the wii and the wii u you know yeah it's wild i will i will actually talk about this so it's worth mentioning today we are also recording uh our follow-up to the ds episode um just kind of for patrons just kind of like a answering some questions talking about some games that we we didn't talk about but i will say here i uh, in the interim between recording the DS episode and now I have read Reggie fils book just about like his life, 
And obviously, because of that, there's a big chunk of it that's about his tenure at Nintendo as both like a marketing executive working his way up to being the president there um, through specifically like the GameCube era up through almost the release of the Switch and the release of the Switch. And a big chunk of that, there's like a whole chapter specifically about like the DS and the Wii and the Wii U and a whole lot of stuff about how they were like pretty sure the Wii was going to be successful, but they weren't super sure. And that's why the virtual console was added. And that's why they went so hard with the virtual console for the Wii U, because they were like, this thing is failing. Third party developers aren't interested in it. We need to be really, really cognizant of our back catalog and like essentially pull that ripcord. And it's so upsetting to know that like that's the mentality behind when they're right. going to put the virtual console is like if a thing is failing then we'll be interested in our own catalog it's like come on it's so silly there is like efforts with the switch online stuff but it just feels like the least ideal way to do that you know like yeah. i feel like it's kind of like pay a subscription for for the ability to play games online and you get the worst port of ocarina of time like yeah. truly i'm not trying to be too negative like i am glad that it exists at all but it's a very low bar where it's like you know this should be kind of like a given and not like a perk of paying for something that should just exist yeah it's frustrating the on the day we're recording this i think two days ago they uh, released pokemon puzzle league for the n64 section online and then another tweet that was like we'll be adding more games soon because we've now like hit the limit of the games that they've already announced which is like i don't, I don't want to just sit there and wait for nintendo to tweet to tell me that i can finally play a thing that i love you know <laughs> yeah and it's also like if if, if they were communicating like hey this switch online thing is going to be like the way to experience our back catalog and it will be continued to be supported you know later on yeah. then i think i would be more kind to it but it's like i don't fully trust like when the new system comes out like is this going to like go to that console too or is this just for the switch like yeah. you know right. like it, it's it's yes. like there's no long-term <laughs> visibility really yeah you know uh it's so it's so weird Anyway, Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia is available <laughs> on the Nintendo 3DS eShop uh, while that still exists. So m maybe check it out if that sounds interesting. I feel like this will be $500 at the minute the eShop goes down. Because I feel like it's like that specific yeah. brand of weird and unrecognized that will be like, yeah, you, you have to pay $500 for this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will say right now looking uh, on eBay, it's like pretty doable price wise. Um, not, not too bad. Uh, unless you want the special edition, which is two hundred seventy five dollars. You did also find on eBay you can get all three Fates games for the, the humble price of nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah. Th OK, so that's actually one of the weirdest things. I, I wasn't going to mention this, but the, the, so Fire Emblem Fates has Birthright and Conquest, as we mentioned. And then there was that third version called Revelations. And the whole deal was you had to have played and finished one of them to unlock the ability to buy revelations. So like if you were to go into the eShop right now, for example, even while it still exists, you can't just go get revelations. <laughs> you need to like, I think, buy it through the through the game. Like you need to be playing the game and then open up the eShop in game and then it'll give you the ability to check out revelations, which is like so wild. But they released a limited edition version called Fire Emblem Fates Special Edition that just had all three games bundled together. And it was a digital code that you would get in this box that had a bunch of extra stuff in it. And currently the price for that is nine hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> 
To be fair, that is like the sealed new copy of it. But even still, if you just want to get like a humble opened copy of that, it's like $450. Yeah, let me let me like it's still hundreds of dollars, which is yeah, too much. Yeah, $690, $470, <laughs> uh, $550, $850. Yeah, it's just wild. It's um, like you can get eight Dreamcasts or that collection of Fire Emblem games. Yeah. <sighs> unbelievable i do i think if i'm also to be fair maybe i don't even know but i think that that also includes the like special edition 3ds as well like i think it was like oh does a fire emblem fates 3ds that also had that digital code that would get you all three games so you know there's like a console price also in there but uh gotcha that makes a little more sense but still still like shocking and i also (laughs) might be wrong about that so who knows Anyway, Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia is available on the eShop while supplies last. Hell yeah. Yeah, there is a little bit of like a a panic mode with any 3DS recommendation. It's like, yeah, this way you can. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend getting Dragon Quest VIII digitally. Yeah, that's a big one. It's weird because you can get Dragon Quest VIII for, for PS2, like for like nothing like it's like a normal priced game but a physical copy of dragon quest 8 for the 3ds is a lot uh and once the digital store goes down that will be likely your only way to get that version of the game yeah because again the other thing too is like emulation for the 3ds is like not quite there yet you know so like yeah there is a little bit of like a harsher need for the actual game than there would be for like you know game boy advance or even ds even the ds yeah so not to say that it won't get there eventually but like you know there are other ways to get games on the 3DS, but I digress. I, yeah, I have to imagine when the eShop eventually goes down, the emulation scene will really like pick up in a pretty major yeah. way. Like, I think you're right that like yeah. w- when the need is fully there, I forget what that emulator is called, but I imagine it'll like really take a whole new life. But I've been focusing a lot on like the digital only stuff. So like there's a game called uh, Attack of the Friday Monsters that I have heard so, so much about that I picked up recently that I'm excited to check out, which I don't think got a physical release. Uh, Pocket Card Jockey, which is a game that we've talked about on the show uh, before. Like another that like, is a must. Yeah, like yeah. incredible must play 3DS game that is only on the eShop. And unfortunately, like when that's gone, that's gone forever. Uh, and there's going to be no way to play it again. There's another game by level five called Little Battlers Experience that I also don't think got. A, a physical release i might be wrong about that one but I, that's one that is really on my radar to pick up soon my read on pocket card jockey is like all the frustration i imagine this is again just like my <laughs> head canon uh-huh. but all the frustration at game freak from the people who want to do more interesting things with pokemon was channeled directly into pocket card jockey yeah because that is game freak <laughs> at their most unhinged yeah. i've played drill dozer so i know them pretty well in that regard mm-hmm. uh when they don't do pokemon they go all out in a direction we haven't perceived as humans just they choose a new direction to go in and it's great they have another i think digital only 3ds game that i want to check out called harma Knight. have you heard of it no, I'm already interested, though. It's a it's a game where you're a knight who uh, battles along. It's like a rhythm game and side scroller like beat him up, essentially. Uh, oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to check it out. But that might also be a digital only guy. Who knows? The Harmon Who knows? Knight. Anyway, Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia <laughs> is available on the 3DS eShop while supplies last. See you later. Goodbye. We are back in the podcast. Welcome. Woo-hoo. Welcome, Stephen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Dear listener. I'm so excited to talk about a third remake. 
on this yes on this episode i'm very excited to hear about it i have not played this one though i do have experience with the series in some regard yeah which i'll talk about later so i have been playing this week uh in a very interesting video game i honestly don't even know where to begin in terms of why i started playing it but i'm playing yakuza kiwami which is a remake of the first yakuza game uh which launched on the playstation 2 in 2005 i think everywhere else in the world in 2006 and yakuza kiwami came out in 2016 and i think worldwide in 2017 so on the ps4 originally ps3 and the playstation 4 i believe um gotcha this game yeah so this game um essentially just to like go back to our previous two conversations about the other two remakes a a big you know kind of lingering why does this exist kind of question i I think is answered pretty immediately there was a game that came out in this franchise called yakuza zero which is essentially a prequel to all of the other yakuza games that have come since and that was built essentially from the ground up to be a new entry point for the franchise because i think at that point in 2015 ish it was kind of a question mark as to like where you would start the franchise and i think the the company that made it uh rgg they're called for short really just wanted to give people like an easy answer to that question which i love I think the the idea of like that feels like a thing that more longstanding IP franchise holders should really consider is like, you know, with a medium as fragmented as video games are in terms of like, when are these things being released on what consoles? Are they still available? Is that game backed up in some way? Is it accessible in, you know, future consoles, things like that? It's so frequently difficult to answer that question of like, where do I begin with a new game, you know, uh, or with a new game franchise? You know, you and I just spent a whole lot of time talking about pokemon like where do you start with that franchise you know maybe it's just whatever one is the newest one is maybe the answer for most people yeah Um, fire emblem kind of a similar thing is like where do you point people to because you don't know what they like about fire emblem yet start with gaiden and then go from there (laughs) Uh, get an nes yeah get the english fan translation put that on the physical cartridge somehow but anyway (laughs) uh rgg in this case was like we want an easy answer to that question because this is a long-standing franchise with a lot of history and a lot of it's a very self-referential franchise as well um, it is so yeah there are so many moments where it feels like there should be audience applause yeah or like it's a meme at this point but whenever a character is introduced like everything stops and their name appears in like big font right and like where they are in the yakuza hierarchy and stuff yeah right um, yeah you just get like a bunch of information it's almost like a little like tarantino adjacent yeah totally so the point being yakuza zero was created as this like new entry point for the franchise um also is a prequel so you're getting uh information about the main character and some of the other uh side players in that franchise as well and like where they all came from from and a little bit about like their psyche and what they were all about specifically taking place in the 80s uh i'll get more in depth about what all that means later but point being that game was very successful uh at both being an entry point to the franchise but also being like fan service for people who had been playing the franchise since it had launched on the playstation 2 and was so successful that the studio then was like shit we need to like really rethink our strategy about these games and they went and remade the first two games from the playstation 2 in the same engine as yakuza 0 in this new engine i think it's called the dragon engine if i'm not mistaken and Mm. we're like we're going to modernize those games and port them all forwards into future generations of consoles so people can start with zero and then make their way through the franchise in number order because zero one two three four five six and now seven with like a dragon which is a game you and i played and will definitely come up in this conversation yeah but that having been said 
uh, when Like a Dragon came out, you and I played it and really liked it a lot. Yeah, I love Like a Dragon. Yeah, yeah. you finished it. You ended up finishing it. I did not finish it. I never made it to the end of that game. Um, and I think that I definitely will at some point. My big thing with Like a Dragon was that there were a lot of things I think that you were just alluding to that feel like they're audience applause moments for people who like have been playing through this entire franchise, have been playing, you know, been sticking with it since maybe the PS2 era or since Yakuza 0 came out in 2015 and like no all of this context and all this history for the cities and for the people and for the places and things like that and the game as i mentioned is already self-referential like a dragon is almost a little bit of like a farce it's taking a lot of like the the campiness of that franchise and like really jacking it up to 11 because it has a new main character a guy named ichiban who is like just like so over the top his whole vibe is that he sees the world as if he's the hero of dragon quest literally like they name check dragon quest a lot yeah there's like a don quixote vibe going yeah. on with him for sure so yeah. all of the battles for the first time in the franchise are turn-based instead of being like an actual brawler on the street really interesting video game uh and and clearly supposed to be like a new direction a new step forward for yakuza as a franchise simultaneously they're working on a spin-off series that's called judgment about a private I who is essentially investigating the Yakuza in the same city that all these games take place in. If you've never played a Yakuza game, one of the really fascinating aspects of it is that every single game takes place in the same city. That's not to say that there aren't other locations, but you will always return to this one section of Tokyo that's called Kamurocho. So the whole idea is that although you can go out and check, you know, different places, different cities, different districts of Tokyo out, um, Kamurocho is a place that you will always return to. And it has essentially remained the same since the first Yakuza a game for the most part a lot of the locations that you visit in the first yakuza game are locations that you will continue to visit going forwards i think they took a really smart approach and, and this is why i'm so interested in yakuza kiwami and playing it right now and seeing how it relates to the original game because honestly kiwami for all intents and purposes is a pretty faithful remake of the first game the only differences that they've really added are a couple extra like mechanic things just kind of like sprucing up the way the combat feels so it's a little bit less loose it's a little like more dialed in uh to be more in line with what's going on in yakuza zero so like if you're starting with zero and then you go to one you're gonna have like a good time you're not gonna feel like this is a step backwards mechanically so like i'm having a harder time making my way through it but they've also added a bunch of narrative references to zero so if you start with zero and you make your way into one there are a lot of things that are linking the two games together a lot of relationships between characters all that having been said Kamurocho has remained mostly the same the thing about the first game when it came out on ps2 that i think a lot of people really clicked with and it's so interesting that you and i i think took so long to eventually make our way into these games is because the joke that you and i have been making for years and years is that so many e3 presentations and like just presentations in general for open world video games are like this is the biggest world we've ever made like this yeah, is the right. biggest thing ever and the biggest actual game at the time on the ps2 was grand theft auto like grand theft auto was the most popular franchise on the playstation 2 at the time those games were selling wild numbers and the whole spiel every single time was it's the first time that you can go wherever you want and do anything like they made a whole fucking city can you believe they made a whole city and like the places outside of that city you can go around you can like run over people with your car how sick is that and that was like the vibe of those games for so long What's so interesting about Yakuza is that it almost feels like an inverse of that, where it's like going after kind of a similar energy, right? Like, obviously, the, the organized crime thing is still happening, hence the name. But it feels like instead of making a world that was gigantic, they made a 
pretty big world that was really detailed. It was really dense. Yeah. There are a lot of characters. Yeah. There are a lot of a lot of NPCs that you can go and visit. There are a lot of different stores and shops that you can walk into and like physical places that you can go and explore. There's like clubs that you can go into, go down the stairs and walk into the club and see people dancing and see people hanging out. There are restaurants you can go into and sit down and like have a meal and decide from a menu what you want. Things that like Grand Theft Auto didn't end up doing until years and years later because Yakuza has always been so focused on just making Kamurocho a, a fully realized place. And it's so cool to me that over the years, as they've continued making new games in this franchise, it's been a, more about making Kamurocho even more dense than it was in the beginning. It's like graphical fidelity and processing power has only allowed them to make this place feel more real than it did before. They've never really been about like expanding as much as they've been about dialing in that original conceit, which I think is really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. That's not to say that there aren't other cities and other places that you visit in future games, especially in Yakuza 7. There's like a whole second city. So like Kamurocho yeah. is a place that you hang out in. But there's a whole second city that you hang out in as well that feels as dense as Kamurocho is. But the whole idea is that when you go back to Kamurocho, it's like, oh, I'm returning home. And it what's so wild about it is like, I've been playing Yakuza Kiwami for the past week. I have played Steven so much of this game in a week. <laughs> I've played like 30 something hours so quickly. Um, I'm like pretty deep into it. I've been playing it with the map off. Like I've been playing it with the HUD turned off. A, because I like taking screenshots. Like I like going around into first person, like essentially making my own photo mode out of this game. But B, because I like learning the layout of the city and I know that Playing it and learning the layout of Kamurocho is going to help me in future games when I need to continue playing. Like it will feel like returning home because like I know where uh, Tahe Boulevard is in relation to Pink Street. Like I know how to get from one point to another and I know what stores are on what corners. I know what Mart sells what in what place. I know where to go to sell when I want to pawn off of like a golden plate that I picked up in a place versus like when I want to sell something else. That shit is wild. Like that's that's amazing that the place is so well realized that I I can like kind of learn it as if it's a real physical place that I can actually live. That is so cool by itself. But the other thing about Yakuza that I think is so compelling, and this is a thing that I had not realized because I tried playing Yakuza 0 a couple of years ago. I guess when Like a Dragon came out. So it was like, what, two years ago? Like I played, Ooh, was that yeah, two years, ago, two years ago? ago? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Don't I played, remind me. <laughs> uh, like a Dragon when it came out and was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm finally understanding why people like this so much. I also played Judgment when that came out and really enjoyed that, but didn't know if that was going to carry over into the mainline franchise, which is why Like a Dragon was such a kind of eye-opening moment for me. It was like, oh, there is something at the core of all of these games in this franchise that I really like. I should go back and visit this from the beginning and experience the whole thing all the way through. I started playing Zero and just like didn't connect to it in a way and have been kind of like bummed about that ever since. It's like, do I just continue playing Judgment and like wait for Yakuza 8 to come out and continue the Ichiban story? Because the whole thing about Yakuza 0 is you're getting a prequel. You're getting a look at the main protagonist of Yakuza 0 through, I guess, 6. It's a guy named Kiryu, who is a member of the Yakuza, kind of like quickly rising up in the ranks uh yakuza zero takes place in the 80s where he's like living his best fucking life like he is <laughs> making a name for himself he's becoming known as the dragon on the streets like people are like really looking up to him in a major way the thing about it though is that i found that yakuza zero although it is i think successful in being a, an entry point into the franchise has so much reverence for this character and so much reverence for these characters that he's interacting with and for the city and things like that that i felt a little bit of a detachment from it like i felt a little bit like i didn't understand 
understand what the game was putting on a pedestal in a way because I didn't have any context for it. Um, So although it is definitely an entry point into the franchise, I still felt like I was at a bit of a remove in a way that was kind of bumming me out. So here I am almost a year and a half after that experience saying, let me just jump into one, the remake of one and just see maybe if that's a better starting point for me. And dear listener, it absolutely fucking is because this game, I think, is just firing on all cylinders immediately. Like the way this story sets itself up immediately was gripping to me. Kiryu is such a fascinating character. He's um, great. I, yeah. There's a reason he's been the lead for forever. For so long. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say this narratively, and then I don't want to say too much else for like story reasons, but the way it opens is essentially you and a friend hang out at this bar, your regulars there. The whole deal is that they only open the second floor of this bar if their regulars are there and like you are at that level. So like, you know, it's very clear immediately that you and your friend are at like a pretty high level in the Yakuza. There are like conversations about like maybe Kiryu's going to get his own family eventually. Like he's going to spin off and like he's going to become like a leader in his own right. Uh, You know, he's spent enough time kind of in the lower ranks. Like people are like, he should be the guy who is leading these streets, which is pretty wild. And Kiryu has become very close with one of the people who works at this bar. And through a whole suite of narrative plot points, she ends up getting kidnapped and you and your friend have to go essentially save her. You find out that the kidnapper was essentially one of the leaders of the Yakuza in the same clan that Kiryu and his friend are both part of. And his friend kills the guy and Kiryu takes the fall for him, essentially, mm. and is in prison for 10 years and gets out in the early 2000s, in like 2005. And essentially has this whole spiel where like he doesn't get kicked out of the family. He's so well respected that he can technically kill his own boss and not get kicked out, but he is suspended. He's on a, a, a long suspension from the family with the understanding that he might end up rejoining eventually. And what's so wild is that your friend, who is actually the one who killed him, ends up getting put in a position where like he's rising through the ranks in those 10 years and is now at the point where he's gotten his own family. But by the time Kiryu gets out of prison, he weirdly has so much street cred from killing his own boss that Kiryu is like an existential threat for his friend, um, mm. which is really fascinating. So you are essentially spending your time uh, trying to like rework yourself into the world of the Yakuza while also understanding that like that's really not a possibility. Simultaneously, everyone in the Yakuza is like, we're going to fucking kill you. Like we're going to we're going to take you out because of what you did 10 years ago. And the more you elude getting killed, the more people start to respect you, which is wild. Uh, like the longer Kiryu is able to survive on the streets, the more people are like, man, maybe he should have his own family. So that's like the actual like organized crime aspect of the story. And then there's the other side of it, which I think is really what I'm connecting with. This game has so much heart, surprisingly. It does. Yeah. It's one of the things that you and I really stuck to when it came to Like a Dragon because Ichiban is such a likable character. Like, he's such a good-hearted dude. And he he leads with that in a way that Kiryu doesn't. Like, Kiryu has a very tough exterior, but yeah. is secretly a very caring person. And Ichiban, it's really clever how, like, that origin story you just shared. Ichiban has kind of the same story, but it's yes. flipped. He is no respect. No right. one respects him. <laughs> even people outside the Yakuza are like, you work for that clan? Like, they're nobodies. Like, you know, we yes. don't even like people outside of the family know that he's a joke in the family. But mm-hmm. he's so he's so loyal to the head of that family that like even amidst like zero reputation and like really no reason to be there other than his own loyalty and his own love of this character. And for reasons I won't spoil, he also ends up having to go to prison 
season for a very long time, which yeah. I think creates a really fun, like fish out of water, out of time aspect to both games. Like I yes. think that like Ichiban, I think is, I forgot exactly when those games begin, but I, I, I think it's like early 2000s, right? Like, I feel like it's like. Yeah, it's like right before like cell phones or sorry, smartphones specifically are everywhere. Like the, the one of the big I, plot yeah. points when he gets out of prison is like everyone has a smartphone and he's like, what the hell is this? I think it might be Y2K because I feel like that there's a New Year's Eve event, if I remember correctly. I think before. you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like either way, like a decade has passed, basically. Yeah. And his he just like, you know, leaves prison and is immediately like, well, you know, I did time for the family. I'm going to go back to them. And like no one remembers him. Right. No one wants to talk to him. It's really sad. And yeah. I feel like the thing about that game that I found so compelling and that really is the heart of it is like that is a setup for a revenge story. That is a setup for like an old boy style. I'm going to get my revenge. Like I've wasted my life on people who don't care about me. He never stops believing in the people he loves. Like he almost to a fault. Like he is so loyal and he believes so heavily in other people. And, you know, and you see that naive aspect of his character change over time. He becomes a little hardened. You know, he becomes a little bit more like Kiryu in some ways. Yeah. But he never stops being lovable and likable and like genuinely wanting to help people. There's a lot to criticize about that game on both a mechanical level and on some of the themes they try to explore. Yeah. But like, again, the heart of it is so visible. And Ichiban as a lead, he's like one of my favorite game protagonists. I just like there's something so refreshing about this you know, older character who is wronged that is so relentlessly optimistic, you can't help but root for him. Like, I feel like he has the attitude of like a teen hero in an anime, but he's like, you know, a 45 year old man with a bat, like leaving prison. Yeah. Yeah. And he still has this optimism. And it's like, that is so admirable. You know, it's, you don't see that very often in a character like him. That's one of the things I'm finding so interesting about Kiryu uh, on the flip side is, you know, he has this, as you mentioned, this like really hardened exterior. He always has this like scowl on his face that people find scary. Which is so funny. (laughs) Yeah. I I just did this one side mission, which I think is actually a really good exemplification of his character. I did this one side mission where there was a woman selling matchbooks uh, on the side of a street. And, you know, I I was walking by and she was like, hey, do you want to buy a matchbook? It's like 100 yen or something. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I was like, why are you selling matchbooks? Sorry, Kiryu. (laughs) Me. Uh, Kiryu was like, (laughs) why are you selling matchbooks in a world where like lighters exist? Uh, like why are you making like custom matchbooks and she's like well my family has been making matchbooks for like a hundred years and it's like part of the family business and we're kind of like going under we're not doing so well so i'm like trying to do everything i can to make sure that the business stays afloat and while she's in the middle of telling you that like something kind of goes awry with her i forget what it is exactly but she's like can you watch this basket of matchbooks while i go run and deal with something really quick so she runs off and you have the ability to do a couple things which is like you can try and sell matchbooks you can just guard the matchbooks and make sure nobody touches them or you can just leave if you want like they actually give you those three options um and i chose to guard the matchbooks and like the if i recall correctly the text was guard the matchbooks with your life which was so funny (laughs) so i chose to do that and uh the the text that pops up as kiryu is like standing there in front of the matchbooks is everyone in the area left which is like okay that's kind of confusing and when she comes back she's like what happened she's like i think you were so scary looking that you drove everyone off 
And, <laughs> and Kiri was like, I'm so sorry. I thought I was trying to help. Like, I, I just wanted to make sure that nobody took these. But what I've noticed is that, like, I've just driven all your business away. Like, nobody's on the street anymore because everybody's afraid of me. And she's like, don't worry about it. Like, you did the right thing. You'll, you'll, you know, you're helping me in the long run by, by allowing me to continue doing this. And that little interaction by itself, honestly, like, I don't know what it is. I mean, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank with you and dear listener, but like, I have pretty rough seasonal depression in the summer. So I'm like in a pretty like emotive state, I would say recently. But that interaction started making me tear up because I was like, this man cares. So like he seems like such a rough dude. But really what it comes down to is he just feels like this really deep level of compassion for like everybody. And he feels like everybody deserves respect in a way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which, you know, can obviously be used in really like fucked up like organized crime ways but can also end up manifesting in these situations where like he's just so good to people that he doesn't need to be good to you know like a lot of these sub stories are him just helping out like random people on the street just because like what else am i doing right now i'm not in any kind of like world ending life threatening scenarios. I might as well just like help this lady guard her matchbooks so her family business can stay afloat for a little bit. And that shit is so beautiful every time it happens. And I think it is kind of goes back to what you had alluded to earlier, which is like there are huge elements of these games to criticize uh, specifically about like the way it treats sex workers, the way it treats women at times are like so fucked up. This game even begins when you first turn it on with like this game is a product of its time. Like they have like a screen that shows up that like tells you that because they're like, we got to prep you for some of the stuff that's happening here because they didn't really change a whole lot of it, which is honestly a thing that I think you can almost criticize even more now to like have that awareness that there is stuff that is rough in this game and to not go back and change it when given the option. But I think even more so and even doubly so when you have protagonists like Kiryu and Ichiban who from the bottom of their hearts are so caring and are so good to people and yet expel these like really weird notions about like like the trans community and sex workers and women that are like so antithetical to the way their characters are written. It's like definitely the biggest bummer of the franchise total like it's definitely the totally. thing that i have the yeah. hardest time getting over because these moments in which they they just throw out these like kind of like quick quips that are supposed to be played for laughs that are like really actually just kind of like dunking on marginalized communities is like so fucking sad in comparison to how hopeful and optimistic these games can be and should be yeah i mean like a dragon is is weird in that regard because you could tell there are conscious efforts to move away from their yeah. mistakes in the past like ichiban like comes to the defense of a lot of communities that are like ignored and scorned and that is the heart of the game but yeah then there are moments where like they totally accidentally take the opposite stance very similar like persona 4 where you know that game is all about like be your true self be honest then every now and then it's very homophobic or transphobic and you know i I think that in in games like this that contains such like conflicting elements where there are these like really hateful moments that happen by accident that are in the way of like what the game's message is trying to be it's a case-by-case thing of like what rings louder like i don't blame anyone for just like seeing that and be like that's enough i don't want to experience it that's actually why it took me a while to get into this series because i also started with yakuza zero and i just found like the 
undercurrent of misogyny too much. Like it was just like, and again, it's like eighties organized crime. So part of it is like, that is sort of the world. Right. But at a certain point, it's like, I'm not against like games kind of containing these like elements that are challenging, but there needs to be something said about it rather than it just existing or even being accidentally glamorized, you know? Yeah, totally. In a weird way. I feel like when you're sharing that moment of the, of the matchbook scene, that's like truly the opposite of GTA, you know, where it's like in GTA, it's like you are existing as this, this, you know, nameless vessel of destruction in like a sandbox. Right. And in Yakuza, like all the side quests are really about helping people, you know, and I think that there's this like platonic ideal of like, what is it, you know, take the organized crime out of it. What does it mean to be like the leader of the city or to like have the actual respect of the city? Yeah. And it, it is in those small moments. So all I have to say, like, yeah, this series has some major, like, biases to confront. And I do think, like, a dragon shows that, like, they are at least aware of that. Mm. But, you know, for every step forward it takes, there's, like, two steps back. There there are a lot of really thoughtful articles about these issues in this series yeah. from people that, like, love Yakuza, but are also, like, sick of having to have that caveat every time. Maybe we'll try to find some to share in the show notes. But uh, it's just it's just hard, again, because the positive message of the game is so ever-present as well. And it's hard to, like, have both experiences happening. Yeah. I, I will say, you know... I- the the caveat continues, but like the instances in which it fumbles like that are few and far between uh, compared to the moments where it really is like wearing its heart on its sleeve and it is about like being good to the people yeah. around you. It just makes those moments like much louder in, when they do fumble in those ways. But I, totally. I, I have found this game to be so joyous at a time where I really needed it. And like Kamarocho, weirdly enough, even though, you know, the whole game literally is about like running from point A to point B and having like a bunch of like street hooligans like come and try and beat the shit out of you while you're like just trying to go to a market to buy a bun with pork in it. Like <laughs> somehow yeah. every single side story has either been like kiryu is like trying to avoid getting scammed by somebody or kiryu is helping somebody uh and and those moments have been really great narratively like the top level narrative i think it's really really compelling and really like surprisingly good and this is one of those instances again where i went and watched a little bit of a let's play of the ps2 version just to see how much had changed here and the answer again is like not much like this game was really doing a lot it's it's shocking I think for me to say, because I had ignored the franchise for so long, just assuming that it was like almost like a clone of GTA. It was like another studio, like looking at the success of Grand Theft Auto and being like, oh, we're going to do that, too, which was like, you know, such a such an ignorant thing for me to think at the time. But like that was that was really my view of Yakuza until I started playing them for myself. But this game at the same time as Grand Theft Auto is like doing a lot of what that series wanted to do significantly better in terms of like crafting this world that is like interesting to live in, creating characters that I like want to hang out with and want to like be with and want to know more about in terms of the way they use like cinematics in in 3D space is like really, really really good <laughs> like i i've been really surprised at just how successful this game is at almost everything it's tried to do and you know there are like memes here and there about the kind of like stilted character animations in you know subplot scenes and things like that but even with all of that i just kind of find it more charming than anything else i i am really 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 loving this game a lot 
uh, I, I've been very surprised at, at how much it's like taken a hold of me this week. And, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know what my future is for Yakuza as a franchise. Like I would like to continue playing them. Um, I really definitely want to finish Judgment at least at some point, because that's a game that I really, really enjoyed what I played of it. But I do think my plan right now is to like finish Kiwami and then go back and play Zero so I can kind of like understand those narrative threads that are linking those two games and then maybe continue on like maybe continue going forward or I might just skip to judgment and then play lost judgment um, as like the two most recent games. But um, I've also heard Kiwami two is maybe like of, of zero and Kiwami and Kiwami two. I've heard that two is maybe the best of those three. So who knows? I, I have no idea where my, where my future leads, but they're all on game pass. It's also worth mentioning. I was going to say, yeah, you've definitely sold me on checking out Kiwami one. And I'm also like very, very interested in where the Ichiban story is going yeah. because like, a lot of like a dragon, while it definitely feels like, okay, like we are having a new protagonist in the mainline series for the first time. Kiryu shows up, you know, not a huge spoiler. Like he actually does yeah. play a pretty big role in the plot, which is a little bit of a bait and switch because I feel like, like a dragon feels like okay this is like the next generation in a way mm -hmm. and like uh you know this is like you can play this game without any prior knowledge but i would say like there is a point where a lot of the story i think would be heightened if you know the original characters like, there's a little bit of like you know again it's a very self-referential series it doesn't depend on it but i think like there are these moments that feel like if I knew who that was, I would be losing my mind. Yeah. And instead, I'm just like, oh, OK, that, he seems cool. You know, <laughs> that's kind of yeah, that's kind of the impetus for going back. I think, you know, I, yeah. I, I think like going back and getting that context, at least a little bit like, oh, cool. I, I know Kamurocho like the back of my hand at this point. I know who like Majima is inside and out because I've like played as him in zero. And I think Kiwami too, you play as him as well. So like that, that whole idea of like, I know who all these characters are because I've played as them. I know the city that they live in so well would make like a dragon, like just hit even higher than it already did for us. Yeah. It's also really interesting. I mean, you mentioned how Yakuza started on the PS2 in like, what, 2005? Yeah. That was very much like the era of GTA. And like, I think looking at Kiryu as a protagonist in a game that is about being in a sandbox and organized crime. Yeah. Like his character, if you look at him alongside all like the game protagonists of the time, like that is the era of like original Kratos and like right. the Vice City protagonist and like all of these like awful men who are like truly being celebrated for being terrible. Right. Which again, you know, I know that the modern God of War like interrogates that. I'm excited to play it. But uh, I think Kiryu like is so fascinating to like kind of be born in that like edgelord protagonist era and is like kind of the embodiment of like sort of almost challenging toxic masculinity and like being a better person and like yeah. showing that you can have that respect and that power by being kind. Yeah. Which I think is like kind of I think people in my life who are big fans of Yakuza, I think play it for that familiarity of the characters and of the location. And also like sort of this really, again, like the positivity of it, like seeing these characters who you would assume, again, Kiryu looks tough and intimidating. You thought the series was GTA and yet half his side quests are like saving cats from trees and stuff. Like, right. you know, he is, he's a really good guy. Yeah. Or at least he's trying to be good. <laughs> There's you know? this whole side plot that I've been experiencing where, um, Kiryu shows up uh, at this place that's called uh, the Pocket Circuit Arena, which is essentially like um, like a slot car arena where the whole deal 
is that uh, he used to be a regular at this place where he would like build a little slot car and like the whole thing was that you'd like customize it with parts and then like race it against people. And he has all these uh, moments where he's like talking about like, oh, the glory days of when I used to come here all the time. And and they show like a flashback where it's like a bunch of kids like playing the slot cars. And you're like, oh, I guess Kiryu is one of those kids. And then they cut to a scene where it's him like as a fully adult man with all of these kids <laughs> who are like 10 years old. And he's like losing his mind over the slot cars with all the kids. And the game, you know, obviously takes place 10 years after he's been out of prison. So he has been absent from the slot car arena for about 10 years and is catching up with all these kids who have like grown into like adults at this point and like trying to get them like back and reinvigorated into slot cars because he's like, I was an adult man and you all looked up to me like, why? Why have you outgrown this? And I haven't. They all like think that they're too cool for it or like too old for it or whatever. And he's like reinvigorating kids in the slot cars thing, which I don't think that that's supposed to be an analog for video games in a way, but it might be kind of feels like that you know yeah Yeah. but even outside of that uh potential like you know kind of undercurrent um i have just really enjoyed this like weirdly very very long side quest that has involved me trying to get these kids like who are now adults reinvigorated into something as silly as just racing slot cars where the only (laughs) thing you can do is like press the y button to boost but outside of that like you have no interaction with it and this is something that yakuza is known for but i feel like that really melodramatic almost kind of soap opera crime drama happening in the yeah. plot leveled with the like really either heartfelt or just truly bizarre yeah. side stories it's like peanut butter and jelly like it's yeah. such a nice compliment and again like you said like a dragon really dials that up in a way that doesn't feel forced because i think ichiban is just a new presence and i think he mm-hmm. kind of brings that positive chaos out of people yeah you know so yeah it, it's a cool series i mean this is this is also like yakuza has consistently been something that is recommended to me and our show by many 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 people yeah you know who would have the same kind of like critiques to say about the points we brought up so you know i think that is a testament to like again i'm not saying like if you're you know if you're uncomfortable playing it for the reasons we brought up totally justifiable but it is nice to see like okay like these are people that i trust would like draw the line somewhere Mm -hmm. and they have found a lot of love and joy from this series so i honestly think you know it's one of those situations where I think so many people have so much love for it and you need to call that stuff out. Like you need to hold the media accountable because it does, of course, because it does seem like, as you were saying, they are starting to maybe push it in the right direction. I mean, even just the acknowledgement that there's problematic shit in the game at the beginning of Kiwami is like, yeah, in a way, a push forwards into them, not including that shit in future titles, you would hope. Right. Which I I think, you know, maybe is paving the way for something better. Um, And, you know, I haven't finished like a dragon. I haven't played lost judgment, which takes place after like a dragon. So I'm, I'm curious, like where the franchise is going. It's also worth mentioning that these games used to come out every year. And this is the first year in I, I saw this somewhere since like 2013 that there hasn't been a new Yakuza game coming out, which I think is very interesting. And I wonder what this like longer development time means for them outside of, you know, maybe it's just like pandemic stuff, but might also mean yeah. kind of like a recalibration in a way. So I'm curious. I also wonder, too, if like there's a big like because I think like a dragon was one of the first games I got on the series s yeah so i wonder if they're working on like what is the framework for like a next gen yakuza game because mm. they they as you said they all look kind of ps3 yeah like they're all sort of like having fun with the ps3 <laughs> like like a dragon the cutscenes are stunning like the really big dramatic moments like look great yeah but when you're like running around the city it's like sort of like you know it, it looks 
it looks good, but it doesn't look like it's taking advantage of like the hardware mm-hmm. in a big way, which again, I don't really think the series is interested in because they're more interested in like, what is the functionality of the place yeah. versus like, how does it look or how big is it? And I think like we've often said, when we talk about any open world games, like the games that feel big are the ones that like, you know what a location is for the character or for the player, not that they all have to serve a utility, but it's like, I know this location. I have like a place to return to here. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, again, like looking at Skyrim versus Oblivion, Oblivion again is our muse, but like Oblivion <laughs> was like, what if we copied the same forest for the state of Iowa? Right. You know, in terms of just like actual distance. And like a lot of that kind of feels that way. And you're fast traveling half the time anyways. It's like, why'd you bother making this huge world? Right. If like we were just going to, you know, you might as well have had like a Fire Emblem map at a certain point. But with Skyrim... Well, you can make similar critiques like that world is actually smaller from what I know, like the actual size of Skyrim is smaller than Cyrodiil. And you feel like I have distinct memories of like, okay, if I go north, it's going to be like really snowy. This whole place is snowy, (laughs) but it's going to be like really snowy in the north. And like, what does that mean? What enemies are there? What towns are there? What are the towns like? You know, Riften is a little bit more Cyrodiil-y. It's like in kind of the swamp. It's a little sketchy. Like, I love how the characteristics of the terrain kind of also inform the setting uh and i to oblivion's credit i do love how all the cities feel like imperial city while it's like weirdly gray and like foggy all the time uh it is like okay we are in rome you know yeah. this is we are in ancient rome uh and then the other city states that border the other provinces are kind of like that province so shade and all has a little bit of a Morrowind feel. Mm-hmm. Leowin and Bruma are, you know, next to Black Marsh and, and elsewhere. Uh, you know, and then you have like I, I love and even um actually that actually might be Bruma up north, but the the northern city state is by Skyrim and it's snowy. All that to say, I think Yakuza <laughs> is is taking advantage of like, you know, the the cliche of like, oh, a sequel can go bigger, go deeper. I feel like it's a series that will go deeper each time. Yeah. It will it will want to make things feel real rather than just showing you you like this is a huge city you actually yeah. feel like it is even if it's not that big it's pretty amazing having played you know what i have of judgment i think i played maybe like the first third of that game and i probably played the first half of like a dragon if i were to guess it's pretty amazing playing those two games and knowing how much deeper they're going to go with Kamurocho because it almost feels a little bit like playing Pokemon Red and Blue again. It's like it, it's shocking how much they got right the first time here, just in terms of like what's available in this city. How how thought out is it? You know, it is kind of like a um, heightened pseudo realistic recreation of an actual district in Tokyo. Um, it's not called Kamurocho in real life. I forget what it's actually called. But uh, th- this version that they've made Kamurocho, like you could tell how much thought there was put into certain areas like okay cool this area down here has a lot of restaurants and a lot of shops and this area up here seems more residential so it just kind of has like a park and like one karaoke bar there but like there's really not a whole lot going on there even just this differentiation between like different streets in Kamurocho like are so well defined so quickly this early on um I'm excited to go and make my way into the second one and the third one and like see see that evolution for myself yeah so if, if one wasn't to play the PS two ones what is the track is it kiwami one and two and then three like is three just like modern enough uh, like is there yeah yeah was three on ps2 or was that later three was on series? ps3 gotcha okay um yeah so so the 
the thing that people say is start with zero and then just go Kiwami, Kiwami two, and then three would be your first, like, I guess like not remake kind of thing. Gotcha. Cool. I'm really excited to play them. I mean, I, I really liked a lot of like a dragon. I mean, it was one of my favorite games of 2020. Can't believe it's two years ago. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to play it. Side note, I guess it is worth mentioning. They did technically like do a light remaster on, I think three and maybe four also cool so those ended up releasing on the ps4 eventually so i I think they kind of just did the thing that we were talking i mean you know going back to our whole kind of thematic uh, arc for this episode but talking about remakes and like why they exist these ones really just exist to like kind of bring them up to parity with what people expect from quality of life and like that's kind of it and honestly that's nice and also making them all available on game pass sickest shit of all time yeah that's really good I also appreciate you uh, like being extremely patient while I brought up the architecture of Shane. <laughs> I was like unparalleled patience. Hey, that's um, we, we took it out of the description of the, of the show, but the description of the show when we first launched it was into the Aether is a low key video game podcast in which Stephen Hilger and Brendan Bigley try to not talk about the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. I just feel like everything is in direct comparison to Oblivion. Yeah, you know? it's our like focal point for all of video games. It's it's the Atlas Rose. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Compass Rose. Atlas Rose. What the hell? I don't know, but that sounds pretty cool, though. Yeah, I said it confidently enough that it meant something. I do want to know what the Atlas Rose is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let us wrap <laughs> yeah, up. This is a long. This is a really long, episode. long episode. Yeah, damn. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I love when thematic connections happen by accident. Big fan. Uh, <laughs> hey, welcome to season five. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Intothecast.online is our hub for everything. That's where you can find places to listen to the show. If you want to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we really appreciate that. We've seen some new ones. Thank you for your kind words. It always means a lot to see what people think of the show. And we also have a Patreon. Link to that is at Intothecast.online as well. Like we said earlier in the episode, uh, if we hit 2000 we're going to do that 3ds episode and that will be whenever we hit it so there's no like urgency to do that if you have to pull your support at any time that's totally fine if you resubscribe at any point you'll regain access to the patron episodes um, and right now we have three tiers one dollar uh, gets you patron episodes so you will have access to the rss feed that has all the patreon content that we've made up until now five dollars gets you an air table which is like a database for our entire show you can type in oblivion and see how many times we've brought it up uh when it came out where you can play it is also on game pass coincidence uh and there's a ten dollar tier which currently does nothing but once we have the merch store active you will have a permanent discount there and that is a work in progress like we shared at the end of the ds premiere we had some complications with setting up a lot of different things for the show in terms of like business accounts and all that, but that will happen and we will let you know as soon as it does. And also it's very cool to see how much people want merch. I never expected that in our time doing this show, but I'm glad you all want to support us in any way you can. Um, so that's into the cast that online. And also do we want to announce what our bonus is for next month? Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, it's next month. But yeah, that's true. It is next month. Yeah. So <laughs> as you may know, we do bonuses every month for everybody. As long as we have a single person backing the Patreon, we will continue making bonus episodes for everybody once a month. Uh, we didn't do one uh, this month because of the premiere. But for August, we will be playing Paper Mario for the N64 and we'll be joined by our editor and close friend AJ. So I'm really excited to have them with us for that because I know they love Paper Mario. Yeah, I've been playing it on and off uh, for the past like month. So it'll be nice to like really 
focus down and actually play that game and finish it uh, yeah which i'm i'm really excited about um we also have our bonuses set for the next couple of months which is exciting um, it is i'm really looking forward to the next couple of months of bonuses it's gonna be really exciting what i will say i, I will i will put a teaser here i'm not gonna say what they are but what i will say is that we have noticed and we have been told that a lot of our bonuses are games that i love that you haven't played <laughs> And that you are checking out for the first time. And that is also, to to be candid, I am not forcing Brendan to do this. I think you have a genuine interest in checking out things you haven't before. Yes. But I am aware that it is a pattern. Uh, and rest assured that that will change soon. I think that we have a number of games that some neither of us have played, some I haven't played. So it will be, it will be a different energy, which I'm excited about. Yeah. So that'll be a lot of fun. That's right. September's bonus is the New York Times crossword puzzle app. <laughs> What is 14 down? <laughs> yeah, that is it for now. Anything else you want to add, Brendan, before we no. close? No, that was great. Um, this has been a long episode. Thank you all for sticking with us. Uh, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Garbage. The online.